Welcome to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Please feel free to leave a comment and be sure to join our group on Facebook. Now relax and enjoy the show. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay and Bluster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks, written by Al Lewis. Well, many of the nation's high school football teams played in postseason junior bowl games last week. Madison High School, where Our Miss Brooks teaches English, also received a bowl bid. Yes, Madison was invited to play in the cereal bowl. <laughs> the game was scheduled for last Saturday, and Friday morning at breakfast, my landlady, Mrs. Davis, asked me about the details. Where has the team been invited to play, Connie? In the stadium at Clay City, Mrs. Davis. And you ought to see how big our beloved principal is taking this invitation. Mr. Conklin's so puffed up, he looks like he was shot out of a cannon. <laughs> if you'll pardon a little wishful thinking. <laughs> the last few days, he's been absolutely memo-happy. Memo-happy? He sends out one inter-office communication after another. But the game tomorrow should be a lot of fun. Walter Denton, the team's manager, told me that the cheerleaders and the team and the band are all going down in buses. Then there's going to be a dance at the Clay City Hotel after the game. I'd give anything to go. Then why don't you, Connie? I haven't got anything. <laughs> the tickets are pretty expensive, Mrs. Davis, and on my budget, well, it's just out of the question. How about Mr. Boynton? Is he going? Yes, he's got a ticket already, I believe. Just one ticket? Mr. Boynton's on a budget, too. <laughs> there's still a chance for me to go along as a chaperone for the girl cheerleaders. Mr. Conklin's daughter, Harriet, told me that he's going to choose between Miss Enright and me today. Miss Enright? But she's always making goo-goo eyes at Mr. Boynton. If she goes to Clay City for the game and the dance afterwards, she'll have him all to herself. I thought of that, Mrs. Davis. That's why I'm giving Mr. Conklin his Christmas present a little early this year. <laughs> Like in a half an hour. <laughs> Good. What are you giving, Mr. Conklin? A pair of nice woolen socks to keep his feet warm at the game. Oh, it isn't that I want to influence Mr. Conklin to select me instead of Miss Enright. It isn't. Of course it is. <laughs> well, all fair in love and war, Connie. Remember, Miss Enright will take any unfair advantage of you that she can. Oh, I wouldn't say that, Mrs. Davis. You wouldn't. Of course I would. <laughs> and she would. At least she always has. Taken advantage, I mean. Would you answer the door, please, Connie? I'll take the breakfast dishes into the kitchen. All right, Mrs. Davis. It's probably Walter Denton. He's giving me a lift to school. Coming! Good morning, Miss Brooks. Miss Enright. I was just driving to school, and knowing the usual condition of your car, I thought I might give you a ride this morning. Well, that's very considerate, Miss Enright, but Walter Denton's picking me up any minute. Oh. Well, there's another reason I stopped by. If I may come in out of the draft for a moment, I'll explain. Oh, I'm sorry. Come in, Miss Enright. Sit down, won't you? Oh, I'd rather stand, I think. I've a new dress on, and the furniture doesn't look too dusted. <laughs> Better brush off your finger. We haven't vacuumed the doorbell in months. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're 
you're so witty, darling. <laughs> but I just wanted to tell you that in spite of our little differences in the past, I see no reason why we can't be more friendly in the new year, which is practically upon us. Well, I'm sure that As I As a matter don't... of fact, I've brought a little peace offering with me, Miss Brooks. Here, I'd like you to have this ticket. Ticket? To what, Miss Enright? To the fireman's ball. My Aunt Jessie bought it weeks ago, but the poor darling just doesn't feel up to going this year. And rather than waste the ticket, we immediately thought of you. Auntie says it's a lot of fun for spinsters. <laughs> what time will you be there? <laughs> Look, Miss Enright, I don't believe that an unmarried girl should consider herself a spinster until she reaches a certain age. Well, don't be testy, darling. I'm sure you won't reach that age. For months yet. <laughs> now, take the ticket and have a good time tomorrow night. Oh, it's for tomorrow night. Now, that's a coincidence. The bowl dance is being held tomorrow night in Clay City. And one of us is supposed to chaperone that affair. Oh, but I'm virtually assured of that position, Miss Brooks. What makes you think so? Oh, I could tell from dear Mr. Conklin's reaction to my visit yesterday. You see, I dropped into his office after school with a little gift for him. I uh, always like to give out my Christmas presents early. What potential chaperone doesn't? <laughs> what did you give, Mr. Conklin? I gave him a lovely pair of woolen socks. Woolen socks? Yes, he was very appreciative. Seemed genuinely touched. But that's what I like about our principal anyway. He has such a warm heart. Don't you think so, Miss Brooks? I don't know about his heart, but he's going to have the warmest feet in Clay City. <laughs> I've got to have a few words with Mr. Conklin before my first class, Walter. Do you think we'll arrive at school in time? get you there in time to talk his arm off, Miss Brooks. <laughs> but you shouldn't worry about that job as chaperone. There's absolutely no doubt that you'll be chosen. Well, according to Harriet, it's still between Miss Enright and me. But Miss Brooks, anybody who could possibly pick Miss Enright over you for any kind of position should have Mr. Conklin's head examined. <laughs> I mean, well, it's a foregone conclusion that he'll take you. And the dance ought to be a lot of fun tomorrow night. Harriet and I have promised each other every dance, except maybe one or two she'll have to give Mr. Boynton. Oh, then Mr. Boynton is definitely going. I thought you knew. Yeah, he got his ticket Monday right after we were chosen to play in the bowl. He's followed the team through thick and thin, Miss Brooks. That's why you've just got to go tomorrow. Well, how can I, Walter, unless I'm chosen chaperone? Well, easy. You can still buy a ticket. It's not that easy. There's only a limited supply, you know. Of tickets? Of money. <laughs> and tickets They're probably all sold out by now oh, Don't worry, Miss Brooks We'll figure something out uh, But to get back to Mr. Conklin for a second Since we've been chosen to play in the bowl He's definitely lid-flipping material Lid-flipping material? <laughs> he's blowing his entire cork, Miss Brooks <laughs> Every time I turn around, I get another memo uh, Look at this last communique he sent me yesterday afternoon Let's see it, Walter Hmm from the office of the principal to the manager, such as he is, of the football team. <laughs> as per my prior instructions, have you made sure the members of the school band are bringing their instruments? <laughs> what does he think they're going to play on? Tissue paper and comb? <laughs> Not that it wouldn't be an improvement. <laughs> Mr. Conklin is a man of many memos these days. He sure is, Miss Brooks. But there isn't much we can do about it. 
After all, a school principal is a school principal. I guess you're right, Walter. But under another set of circumstances, Mr. Conklin and I might get along beautifully. What kind of circumstances, Miss Brooks? If he were the principal of Madison High and I was an English teacher in Budapest. <laughs> Come in. Oh, it's you, Miss Brooks. What can I do for you? Do you really want to know, Mr. Conklin? No, it was just a figure of speech. <laughs> Please be brief. I've got a lot on my mind. Yes, sir. I'd like you to accept this little Christmas present, Mr. Conklin. I wanted you to have it early. Thank you, Miss Brooks. What is it? Well, it's a sort of surprise, a timely surprise. As a man who suffers from hypertension, Miss Brooks, I find that surprises do very little for me. What's in the package? Well, I'll give you a hint, Mr. Conklin. You received a present from another teacher yesterday, isn't that right? Yes. Well, if you had that present on and then put my present on, you'd be wearing a very bloated pair of shoes. <laughs> Here, I'll just put it away in your closet. Oh, while I'm at it, I could clean out this closet for you, Mr. Conklin. Uh, no, thank you, Miss Brooks. Miss Enright did that for me yesterday. <laughs> As you know, I'm going to choose one of you as the chaperone for the trip tomorrow. I'll make my final decision at lunchtime. Very good, Mr. Conklin. Have you completed all arrangements for tomorrow? Uh, practically. I've just finished another memo for those directly concerned with the trip. I call it Schedule A. Would you like to hear it? Not it reads at 7.30 a.m. <laughs> band members and cheerleaders under supervision of female chaperone will leave on bus number one. Second half of contingent will be personally conducted by me and will leave at 8 o'clock on bus number 2, signed Osgood Conklin. That certainly is explicit. I must say, Mr. Conklin, these memos of yours are a wonderful idea. Why, this schedule lists all the instructions so clearly and concisely that there couldn't possibly be the slightest confusion. I'm quite slippery on this side, Miss Brooks. Perhaps you should start buttering up the other. <laughs> Why, Mr. Conklin, it's just that I realize that there's more to this expedition than the honor of being invited to a bowl football game. And I want you to know that I'm ready, willing, and able to accept the great responsibility, the hard work, and the free ticket that goes with it. Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. Now, proof that brushing teeth right after eating with Colgate Dental Cream helps stop tooth decay before it starts. Continuous research, hundreds of case histories, makes this the most conclusive proof in all dentifrice research on tooth decay. Eminent dental authorities supervised hundreds of college men and women for over two years. One group always brushed their teeth with Colgate's right after eating. The other followed their usual dental care. The group using Colgate Dental Cream as directed, using Colgate's exclusively, showed a startling reduction in average number of cavities, far less tooth decay. The other group developed new cavities at a much higher rate. No other dentifrice offers proof of these results. Modern research shows decay is caused by mouth acids, which are at their worst right after eating. Brushing teeth with Colgate's as directed helps remove acids before they harm enamel. Yes, Colgate's contains all the necessary ingredients, including an exclusive patented ingredient for effective daily dental care. So remember, always use Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. <laughs> 
Well, when lunch period started, I made my last bid for Mr. Conklin's favor. I went to the school cafeteria and filled a tray with the best food available, then carried it down to his office so he could have his lunch in private. The door was ajar, so I walked right in. Surprise! Ah! <laughs> oh, it's you, Miss Brooks. Come in. Yes, do come in, darling. Miss Enright, what are you doing here? Uh, Miss Enright was thoughtful enough to bring me some food from the cafeteria so I could have my lunch in private. <laughs> Wasn't that sweet of her? Sweet and swift. <laughs> uh, what's that you have on the tray, Miss Brooks? This? Mm. Oh, I just thought you might like a little dessert, Mr. Conklin uh, What sort of dessert? Roast loin of pork <laughs> How terribly middle class Well, it looks delicious, but I've just finished a Swiss steak that Miss Enright brought me I've got to watch my weight Oh, then I'll just take uh, it back Put it down the... on my desk, I have a long day ahead of me <laughs> Now then, you're both wondering, no doubt, as to which of you is my final choice for the position of chaperone at the Clay City Game and Dance. Well, there's no hurry about it, Mr. Conklin. If you want to... Who? Who? <laughs> well, it's not you, Miss Brooks. Then you mean... No. No, it's not you either, Miss Enright. I've decided that the ideal chaperone for this trip is Mrs. Conklin. Mrs. Conklin? Your wife? An amazing deduction. <laughs> Yes, yes, the thought occurred to me this morning while I was mulling over a memo that the chaperone for girls should be a married woman. That eliminated Miss Enright, of course. And unless there's been a sudden and radical upheaval in your existence, you're not married either, Miss Brooks. You're so right, Mr. Conklin. But if you'll excuse me now, I've got something very important to do in the cafeteria. Uh, what's that, Miss Brooks? I've got to start engineering a sudden and radical upheaval in my existence. <laughs> Mr. Boynton, well, this is a coincidence. Uh, what is, Miss Brooks? My running into you like this, after only five minutes of stalking. <laughs> but, Mr. Boynton, I wanted to talk to you about the weekend. Have you any plans? Plans? Well, certainly, Miss Brooks. I've got a ticket to the cereal ball game at Clay City. But that's 80 miles away, Mr. Boynton. And I understand the trip is being made in buses, those drafty, old-fashioned buses. Oh, they're not so bad, and the game should be a lot of fun. Fun? Bucking those crowds? Then when you do get in, you have to sit on hard wooden benches with your feet on cold cement. And do you know what a breeding place for germs a mob of people can be? But, oh, Miss Brooks, people go to football games all the time, never catch anything. Some people stay home and never catch anything. <laughs> Look, Mr. Boynton, this game is for kids. Oh, but there's a dance afterwards for everybody. Fine dance. You know who's going to play the music for it? Our school orchestra. And have you heard them rehearsing lately? Well, no, I, I haven't. I have. They were running through Mule Train the other day. <laughs> the only instruments on key were the whips. <laughs> now, I'm surprised at this attitude of yours, Miss Brooks. I thought you'd be keen to go. Didn't you even buy a ticket? Buy a ticket? I wouldn't go to that clam bake if somebody gave me a ticket. Besides, there's a new movie coming to the Strand tomorrow that all the papers say may get the Academy Award. It's called All the King's Men. You wouldn't want to miss that, would you? Well, I'll see that later on, Miss Brooks. 
Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got to get back to my laboratory before class starts. Some things I want to pack away for the weekend. Go ahead, Mr. Boynton. Well, I, I'll see you before I go, won't I? There's no hard feelings. Oh, certainly not. No reason why you shouldn't go where you want to go when you want to go there. <laughs> Is there? Uh, I, I guess not. See you later, Miss Brooks. Uh, 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 toodle. <laughs> but instead I'll trust him implicitly He can go where he wants to go Do what he wants to do I don't care my affection. Excuse me, Miss Brooks But I've got the most wonderful news for you May I sit down for a minute? Why, certainly, Harriet What's the news? Daddy just talked to Mother on the phone And she doesn't feel up to going along tomorrow so he picked you to chaperone the girls. Me? What made him decide on me? Well, to be perfectly honest about it, Miss Brooks, Daddy flipped a coin. He says it was heads, you'd go, and tails, Miss Enright would go. And the coin came up heads? Three times. <laughs> now, here's your ticket, Miss Brooks. This is good not only for the game, but a round-trip ride on the bus and admission to the dance. Oh, I can hardly believe it. Oh, this is a real break, Miss Brooks. You got just utterly the last ticket in school. Oh, one more thing. Here's another memo from Daddy. He wants you to read it very carefully. Let's see. Schedule B. At 7.30 a.m., band members and cheerleaders under supervision of female chaperone. Yeah, I know, Harriet. I, I, in fact, I knew Schedule B when it was only Schedule A. <laughs> if you, if, pardon me, Harriet. I've got to tell someone about the news you just brought me. Who, Miss Brooks? Oh, someone. All right, Miss Brooks. And I know Mr. Boynton will be tickled to hear it. Come in. Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. After you left, Mr. Boynton, I got to thinking about our conversation. Uh, me too, Miss Brooks, and I've decided that I I'm not going on the Clay City trip after all. <laughs> You're not going? No, no, I'm selling my ticket to Mr. LeBlanc, the French teacher. Selling your ticket? But, Mr. Boynton, you're missing the trip of the century. Cozy <laughs> modern buses, the thrill of personal contact with that adorable horde of people at the stadium. And then there's the game itself. Tense, exciting action, viewed from comfy, form-fitting beaver board seats. <laughs> just, just a minute, Miss Brooks. Are you going tomorrow? Of course I wouldn't miss it for the world. <laughs> But you said in the cafeteria that you wouldn't go if somebody gave you a ticket. What made you change your mind? Somebody gave me a ticket. <laughs> uh, Miss Brooks, what about all the king's men? All the king's men couldn't drag me away from Clay City tomorrow, <laughs> Mr. Boynton. And I'm surprised that you don't feel the same way. Well, I, I would like to root for the old team, but I've promised Mr. LeBlanc the ticket. And once I make a promise, I keep it. Well, don't worry about me, Miss Brooks. I'll find something to do. I'll probably take Miss Enright to a movie or something. Miss Enright? Well, yes, yeah, she loves movies, you know. She loves sitting in movies. There's a difference. <laughs> Honestly, Mr. Morton, I just can't understand you sometimes. Well, how do you mean, Miss Brooks? Well, doesn't being with the old team mean more to you than being with old Enright? <laughs> now, 
if there's anything wrong with Miss Enright that a little chicanery, which I'm about to indulge in, couldn't eliminate, along with Miss Enright. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid I don't follow you, Miss Brooks. Let's keep it that way, Mr. Boynton, at least temporarily. I'll see you in a little while. Yeah, but, Miss Brooks, you don't... Toodle! <laughs> Hiya, Miss Brooks. I've been looking all over for you. And Mr. Conklin wants you to read this memo right away. Oh, let's see that, Walter. Schedule C. At 7.30 a.m., band members and cheerleaders will board bus number one. Oh, great. I don't have to read this. I know this schedule backwards. Well, you don't sound very enthusiastic about being chosen chaperone, Miss Brooks. Frankly, Walter, I'm not. But why not? Well, it's a long, dull story in which the heroine cuts her own throat. But boiled down, it reads, Mr. Boynton isn't going. Now I'm stuck with a ticket for a trip I don't even want to make. Hello, Miss Brooks. Walter? Oh, it's you. Hi, Miss Enright. If you ladies will excuse me, I've got to get over to the supply room and pick up some megaphones. Uh, we can finish our conversation in a few minutes, Miss Brooks. Thanks a million, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Conklin told me that you won the toss, Miss Brooks, and I suppose good sportsmanship demands that I offer my congratulations. Well, thank you, Miss Enright. That is very sporting of you. Of course, I have enough money in the bank to go on my own, but there just isn't a ticket to be had. I know there isn't a... Wait a minute. What would a ticket be worth to you, Miss Enright? Why? Do you have an extra one, Miss Brooks? Would you give $5 for a ticket, Miss Enright? It includes bus fare and admission to the dance, you know. Well, that sounds eminently fair, Miss Brooks. Here's the $5. And here's the ticket. Well, I have to be running along now, Miss Enright. Hope you have a nice time over the weekend. Oh, I'm sure we'll all have a nice time. You and Mr. Boynton and myself. I'm sure we will, Miss Enright. Goodbye. I wonder where she got this ticket. Hiya, Miss Enright. Well, I got all the equipment and stuff, and I... It, where did Miss Brooks go? I wanted to cheer her up a little. Cheer her up? Yeah. She seemed kind of blue because Mr. Boynton isn't going to the game tomorrow. Mr. Boynton is... So that's why she sold me the ticket. Walter, could I borrow one of those pennants you've got there? Oh, sure, Miss Enright. Uh, what kind do you want? Any kind, just so it's nice and sharp. <laughs> again, Mr. Boynton. There's something I'd oh, like to Oh, I'm glad you came back, Miss Brooks. I've been thinking this over very carefully, and... <laughs> I've, I've decided that I've just got to go en route for our team tomorrow. <laughs> now, those kids would never forgive me if I didn't come. Mr. B Mr. LeBlanc will just have to understand. You don't mean it, Mr. Boynton. You can't mean that you're going to ride 80 miles in a drafty old... <laughs> buck a germ-ridden mob for the privilege of watching 22 untalented children run into each other while you're sitting on a stone bench with your feet in your pocket. Uh, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks. You can't talk me out of it this time. I'm going to the ball tomorrow or bust. Oh, but Mr. Boynton... May I come in, Mr. Boynton? It's Miss Enright. Stay right where you are, Miss Enright. I'll come out. Excuse me, Mr. Boynton. Well, what is all this? Miss Brooks. I thought I'd find you here. I know what you're thinking, Miss Enright, and you're perfectly justified in being annoyed with me, but I'd like to make it up to you if you'll let me. What do you mean, Miss Brooks? Here's your five dollars back. Give me the ticket. Well, I didn't expect you to be this honest. Here you are, Miss Brooks. Thank you. Oh, hello, Miss Enright. Oh, hello, Mr. Boynton. I um, understand you're going to be in town over the weekend. How about taking in a movie together tomorrow night? 
Oh, I'm afraid that's out of the question, Miss Enright. I'm going to Clay City tomorrow with the team. <laughs> well, Miss Brooks, you've done it again. That's two touchdowns for you already. Don't add up the score yet. I'm hoping to make some conversions tomorrow. <laughs> Martin as our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, yes, tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Luster cream, world's finest shampoo. No other shampoo in the world gives K. Dumas magic blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Not a soap, not a liquid. Luster Cream Shampoo leaves hair three ways lovelier. Fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Even in hardest water, Luster Cream lathers instantly. No special rinse needed after a Luster Cream Shampoo. So gentle, Luster Cream is wonderful even for children's hair. Tonight, yes, tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo. Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl, you owe your crowning glory to a luster cream shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Saturday morning, as per Mr. Conklin's schedules, I boarded the 7.30 bus with the cheerleaders in the band. We arrived at the Clay City Hotel about half an hour before game time. Isn't this a swell room, Miss Brooks? Oh, it's very nice, Harriet. This is where we're going to change our clothes for the dance tonight. The band has a suite right down the hall. I'll get it. Hello, Miss Brooks speaking. Hello, Miss Brooks. This is Mr. Conklin. All set up in your room? Yes, and it's very comfortable, Mr. Conklin. How is your room? Splendid, thank you. But that's not what I'm calling about. I had Walter Denton deliver Schedule C to you yesterday, Miss Brooks. Did you read it? Oh, that wasn't necessary, Mr. Conklin. I remembered word for word the instructions you outlined in Schedules A and B. Uh, never mind A and B, Miss Brooks. Do you happen to have Schedule C handy? Yes, sir. It's right here in my purse. Then open it up and read it to me. I'll hang on. Yes, sir. <laughs> here it is. It says... Schedule C. At 7.30 a.m., band members and cheerleaders will leave on bus number one. Due to the fact that I have procured a much larger bus than was previously planned, bus number two has been canceled. Read on, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Therefore, chaperone will delay departure of the bus until 8 a.m. <laughs> but, Mr. Conklin, if the second bus was canceled, what transportation did you have? None, Miss Brooks. <laughs> but, but, but you said you had a nice room. Oh, I have a lovely room. You've seen it. Done in early American. Lots of nice maple and some fine old prints. There's only one thing I don't like about it, Miss Brooks. What's that, Mr. Conklin? It's in my home. <laughs> Eighty miles from Clay City. Oh, this is terrible. I, I don't know what to say, Mr. Conklin. Why, I'm responsible for you being left all alone. Oh, but I'm not alone, Miss Brooks. You're not? No, no. 
Oh, there are 25 of us here. <laughs> the entire Madison football team! <laughs> now then, Miss Brooks, with the game due to commence in half an hour, who is going to take the field against Clay City? The Madison Band, Mr. Conklin. The band? You're going to have the band play football? No, sir. Mule train. That's one way we'll be sure to whip them. Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Lustre Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Men, here is actual factual proof of more comfortable, actually smoother shaves by using Palmolive Lather Shaving Cream. 1,251 men tried the palm olive lather way to shave described on the tube. And no matter how they shaved before, three out of four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Try palm olive lather shaving cream. See if you don't get more comfortable, actually smoother shaves the palm olive lather shaving cream way. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Looking for a book that combines the Christian faith, with a fantasy adventure. Creator's Call does just that. 18-year-old Edward has been raised with tales of distant lands where dragons and other strange beasts dwell. He dreams of one day joining the Keepers, who fight against them to keep the land safe, however, life's obstacles keep him firmly rooted in the small town of Cadestone. When 17-year-old June comes passing through, following a dream given to her by the creator of the universe, Edward's life is about to change. Pursued by a demon-possessed man, the two of them are forced to flee to areas where dragons and monsters are not just tales but reality. June and Edward eventually discover what the demons want from them. Is it possible to defeat this evil and save everyone from the darkness that threatens their lands? Creator's Call is a Christian fantasy novel with clear Christian messages. A book that glorifies God while taking you on an adventure. Pick up a copy of Creator's Call today. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Amos and Andy Show. For the past three weeks, Andy has been desperately trying to find Madam Queen. No, it isn't that the love bug has bitten him again. It's just that he needs her to sign a paper so that he can get $600 out of a joint account in a recently reorganized investment company. Right now, 
George Kingfish Stevens is at Henry Van Porter's office telling Henry of the situation up to now. Oh, I tell you, Henry, a woman the size of Madam Queen just can't drop out of sight. Yes, it certainly is strange. Yeah, just like losing a bass drum in a telephone booth. You mm-hmm. can't do that. Well, I was hoping that he would have found her and had the money by now. There's no way of him getting it without her signature, huh? Yeah, you see, like I told you, when Henry was figuring on marrying Madam Queen, he put this money in a joint investment. The company went defunct. Oh, I see. Yeah, but at the moment, they is undefunct again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they is willing to pay Andy the $600. Yes. If he can only find Madam Queen. Yeah, and he ain't got all the time in the world, neither. After all, this investment company could go defunct again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you got money with companies like that, you got to get it out between funks. That's what you got to <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, Henry, up to now, I've been trying to find Madam Queen before Andy did. And then I was going to charge Andy a percentage... To tell him where she is. Yes, I know. Yeah, but I think I'm going to have to change my Tic Tacs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to see if I can't cooperate with Andy in the search. Then when Andy gets the money, we can get him to invest it in a deal with us. Mm-hmm. You know, Henry, I has done got to feel like a brother to that $600. <laughs> Listen, Amos, I ain't never been so undiscouraged as this in my life. I can't find Madam Queen no place. Yeah, you ain't got no clues or nothing, is you, Andy? That's right. I done started out nowhere and been losing ground ever since. Yeah, well, Andy, ain't there some way that you can get this $600 without Madam Queen's signature? Well, the trouble is, Amos, it's what they call a joint account. Uh-huh. And there ain't no way that I can see to unjoint it. Hey, it's your money, though. There ought to be some way to get it. Well, I tell you, what I was thinking of doing was signing Madam Queen's signature myself. Oh, Andy, you can't do that. That's forgery. They can put you in jail. Hmm. Gabby Gibson told you that last week. That's against the law. It is, huh? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't want to go against the law. No, sir. Maybe I can get lightning to do it. You done advertised in the paper for Madam Queen. Look here, why don't you go over to the large hall and see if you got any answers? Yeah, I'll do that. Gee, I'd like to get that money. Kingfish, has you got my mail? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Here you is, Andy. I got two letters for you. Yeah, bills, I bet. Uh, Brother Andy, all I want to do is to help you find Madam Queen by cooperating with you. Yeah, well, let me see this now. This first one here. Uh Uh-oh. Just what I thought. What's that? Say here, dear Mr. Brown, regarding the purchase of a $14 overcoat on which there's still $12 due, we would appreciate a remittance. We are waiting to hear from you so we can close our books for 1937. <laughs> uh, what is you going to do, Andrew? Well, a uh, nice letter like this deserve an answer. I'll tell them they can close their books for 37, not to wait for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's the, that's the way it'd be fair about it, all right. Oh, sure. That coat was no bargain, no way. Starting to go at the elbows already. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, here's another letter. Look here. See what this one is. What is that? 
Hey, this must be a mistake. What do you mean, a mistake? Well, it ain't a bill. Oh. Say here, uh, we take pleasure in announcing that beginning next Tuesday, March the 14th, the Lenox Avenue Beauty Shop will be run under the management and ownership of Madam Queen and a... Hey, wait a minute. Madam Queen? Yeah, look here. Then it say here in pencil, Dear Andy, I hope that I have the right address and that this reaches you. I know that you never go to beauty parlors, but I won't be open for a few days yet, so why don't you drop over and see me for old time's sake? Signed, Madam Queen. And that's her handwriting. And I knowed we'd find her. You see what my cooperation has done done? Good old Madam Queen. So long, Kingfish. My ship has done come in. Yeah, wait a minute. Where are you going, Andy? What are you going to do? I'm going home, get all cleaned up, put on my best suit of clothes, and going over to see Madam Queen. That's a good idea, Andy. I'll even lend you some of my cologne. Mm. There ain't nothing that will make a woman sign on the dotted line quicker than a sweet-smelling man. <laughs> So, Madam Queen finally has been located, hey, Kingfish? Yeah, in other words, Henry, after three weeks of looking everywhere for her, she finally found Andy. Yes, well, it's like they say, if the mountain will not come to Mohammed, then Mohammed will go to the mountains. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what they say, all right, yeah. I gotta remember that. But now that Andy has done found Madam Queen all by herself, where does we fit in the picture? Well, now, looking the thing square in the face, Henry, we is really on the outer fringe. But I got an idea how to put this thing over. What's that? Look here. I is going over to Andy's right now and give him some tips on how to approach Madam Queen. Mm-hmm. And get her, you see, to sign the paper. Yeah. Now, that'll kind of make Andy obligated to us. And then he'll listen to reason when we tells him how he ought to invest his money in our new big investment company, which we will organize tonight. <laughs> How does I look, Kingfish? Oh, Brother Andy, you look great. You look great. Uh, ain't you going to wear a tie, though? Yeah, I'm getting lightning to get one pressed up for me now. Mm-hmm. He'll be here any second. Uh, lightning on his way over here. Huh? Yeah, that's right. You know, I still can't get over that after all the trouble that I done went to to find Madam Queen, it ends up by her finding me. Well, like the old saying, Andy, if... Uh... My hat McGandy goes to the mountains, he's bound to find somebody and all that stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't it the truth? Ain't it the truth? Oh, I tell you what, them old sins come in all the time on things like this, and they help you fix them up. Yeah, they sure is. Brother Andy, now I'm going to tell you something. The reason I come up here to your room, because uh, I, your pal, number one, want to help you all I can. Uh-huh. Besides finding Madam Queen, I'm going to help you other ways, too, you see. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I want to tell you how to approach Madam Queen. Yeah, well, I know how to do that. I just go in and ask her if she'll go down to the investment company and sign the thing. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. Something wrong there? Andy, look here. You got about as much delicacy as a sledgehammer. <laughs> now, the first thing you got to do is to take her flowers. Well, I ain't got none. All right, we'll get some. Yeah, then you got to talk to the gal for a while and win back her friendship. I hear huh? Yeah, you know, Andy... It ain't no good for you to bust right in there to her and tell her that you want her to sign something so you can get $600. Change, huh? No, she liable to go fountain pen shy on you there. Yeah. 
tobacco. Mm, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, kind of got to ease into that thing. Yes, lad. But how do you talk to a gal that you ain't seen for eight years? Well, the most important thing, uh, talking, well, well, you've got to make her think that you are still crazy about her. Look, uh-huh. Andy, let me show you just what to say. Oh. Now, look, you take the part of Madam Queen, and I'll show you what to say. I'll be you. Now, you, you, we, we rehearsed the thing right here. Yeah, go ahead. Do that. Yeah, now, uh, you start off by saying, you say, uh, uh, Darling, after all these years, you sure do look wonderful. And I'm so happy to see you again. Yeah, well, I was happy to see you, too. Uh, Mrs. Andy, I got your tie press here. Yeah, all right, all right. I'll be with you in a second, Lightning. Go ahead, Kingfish. Uh, honey, I'm still crazy about you, and in honor of my deep love and affection, I want you to accept these beautiful flowers. Mm. You want him to accept what did that you say? These flowers. Keep still, Lightning, will you? Day is beautiful. I'll wear them right next to my heart. You know, I keep telling my wife that my eyesight ain't what it used to be. Listen, Lightning. Listen here. The kingfish is just telling me what to say to Madam Queen. Oh, I see now. You is just making believe, huh? Yeah, leave the tie here and get out of here, will you? Yes, sir. I'll whiz away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, Andy, uh, that gives you an idea of the type of thing to start off with. Mm. Now, then after giving her enough of that, you bring up the subject of the $600. Yeah. Casualty, of course. Oh, sure. Yeah, now, don't bring it up like you care nothing about it. Yeah. You know, make her think that you was rich. Just bring it up in an offhand way. Yeah, well, I think I got the whole idea, Kingfish. Good. Now, about getting some flowers. I ain't got a dime. Yeah, well, I'll tell you the truth. I flat broke myself. Let me think here. Yeah, think it. Hey, wait a minute. I got some paper flowers over in my office. Paper? Yeah, they're just about three years old, and they're still blooming. <laughs> uh, how about taking a damn? Well, that's better than nothing. Yeah, come on. Let's go over to my office. These paper flowers sure hold their shape good, don't they, Kingfish? Yeah, the shape is all right. They could stand a little cleaning, though. Yeah, let's see. Uh, let me shake them once. The dust has kind of settled on them. Hey, what was that? little butterfly flew out there then? That was a moth. Oh. You sure ain't no wool in these flowers? No. <laughs> How'd they look? Well, and uh, them flowers need scrubbing. Gee, I hate to see you give her those. Hey, Andy, who that are here in the back office? Oh, that's Gabby Gibson. You know, the lawyer. Oh. Yeah, I done rent him the back office. Oh, Gabby Gibson, yeah. Uh, uh, say, look, uh, he usually got some money. Uh, why don't you go back there and try to borrow $5 from him? Then you can get a nice bouquet for Madam Queen. Yeah, I might try that. I would never give Madam Queen paper flowers. Yeah, go back and see Gabby. I'll wait out here. All right. Hello, Gabby. Oh, hello, Andy. Hello. How you getting along? Oh, working very hard, Andy. Working very hard. Business I can be. Yes, indeed. Hmm. Making any money? Make more money than I've made in my life. More than I've made in my life. More money. Yes, indeed. Oh, that's good. Uh, got money in your pocket, huh? Oh, yes, indeed. Got money in my pocket. Yes, pocket full of money. Yes, sir. I'm loaded to the gills right now. I'm really loaded. Uh, Gabby, uh, uh, how about letting me have $5 till Tuesday? 
I'm sure glad you asked me, Andy. I'm glad you asked me because you was one of the best friends I got, one of the best friends. And I want you to know, I really want you to know how nice it was for you, how nice to rent me this back office. I was telling my girl last night, last night, I said, Andy Brown is one of the best friends I got, the best friend. And I was always wanted a chance, wanted a chance to do something for you, to help you if I could. Really want to help you. And right now I got money in my pocket. I really got money in my pocket. I got the five dollars. I got the five, but I ain't going to let you have it. <laughs> He ain't gonna let me have it. Huh? No, sir, you can't have it. Just can't have it. And that's final. Andy is about set for his first meeting with Madame Queen. Already well-primed by the kingfish, he is now receiving final instructions at Madame Queen's front door. Well, here's the beauty shop, Andy. Now, before you go in, has you got everything straight? Uh, yeah, I think so. Now, you've got the flowers wrapped up in the wax paper good. All covered up, ain't it? Yeah, they is covered. Yeah, you see, Andy, the idea is to let her know that you got flowers for her, but not let her know that they is made out of paper till she agrees to sign. You kind of got to use the flowers as kind of a decoy. Yeah. Well, uh, what if she grabs them from me and unwraps them right away? Uh, well, then you was on your own. Yeah, now, go right on in, Andy, and remember, don't be too anxious on the signature. Oh. Go heavy with the love stuff before you get to the signing. Yeah. Now, I'll be over at Henry Van Porter's office, so phone me and let me know how you come out. Right. Put right. it there. Yeah, right. Good luck to you. Yeah, here I go. Here yeah. I go. So long, we'll be waiting. Okay. Oh, me. This got to remind me of old times. Madam Queen. Andy Brown. <laughs> Why, you dear, dear boy. Let me take off my glasses and look at you. <laughs> Andy, you ain't changed a bit. Well, the same to you, honey. And bringing me flowers. Why, Andy? Yeah, well, I'll just lay them over here on the table. You do nothing to the car, and I'll put them right over here in some water. Well, uh, uh, they'll last. Why don't we just leave them right there? <laughs> oh, no, Andy. Maybe they'll last for a couple of days till I have the opening of the beauty shop. Well, well, uh, that's what I want to tell you before you open them up. Uh, uh, honey, before we take the paper off, uh, let me say to you this. The petals of these flowers ain't got the touch that nature brung them. They has never been sprinkled with the dew from the heavens. They has never been touched by the birds, the bees, and the butterflies. And the smell, well, it just ain't there. <laughs> but I bring you these with the wish that your new beauty shop will last as long as the flowers. There you is. Oh, you darling boy. Paper flowers. And such nice long stems, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they'll be simply exquisite in the beauty shop. Yeah, if you don't throw no matches in the vase, they'll last you for years. <laughs> oh, Andy, dear, I just can't get over how well you look. Yeah, well, you know, darling, after all these years, you sure look wonderful yourself. <laughs> oh, I am so happy to see you again. I'm so glad. And, honey, I am still crazy about you, too. After all we has been to each other, from now on, I want to be even more than I has been. We ought to be together all the time, Angel Dollar. All right, Andy, turn it off. What you after? 
Oh, uh, who, me? Look, Andy, I've known you a long time. <laughs> and when you get that squinty look around your eyes and I hear that little stuff bubbling out, I know there's something cooking. Oh, listen. Listen, honey, I as a changed man. I meant what I said. You mean all that stuff about still being crazy about me was really and truly on the level and you ain't softening me up for nothing? Oh, how can you say that? Of course, there might be some little thing that come up uh, I might think of later. <laughs> I see. Still the same old Andy. No, no, I wouldn't say that. Uh, I is different in a lot of ways than I was when you seen me last. One thing, I've been making a lot of money. Really? Oh, sure. I is a rich man and all that stuff. <clears throat> and, of course, I gets a lot of letters, too. Got one this morning. Uh, mentioned your name in it, but uh, I tore it up, throw it away. What was it about, Andy? Oh, let me see. What was that? Uh, see, I'm dealing in finances so much, I can't remember nothing no more. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. You remember a few years ago, I put some money in a investment company in a joint account between the two of us? Sure, I remember. That's when you and me was looking forward to having a little house of our own someday. Yeah. Hmm, I guess that was just a dream, wasn't it, Andy? Yeah, but it was a pretty dream. May, remember the living room that we was going to have? Mm, nice fireplace with a love seat in front of it? Yes, indeed. Then in one corner, a big wing-back chair where you could sit and do your sewing. And in the other corner, a pool table for me and the boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that, Andy. Whatever happened to that investment company? It failed or something, didn't it? Uh, well, it seems that they written me a letter saying that if I could get you to sign some paper with me, that... I could get my money back. Oh, so that's it. You want my signature. Oh, well, you know, I, I don't like to bother you with a lot of writing. Uh, Got to sign your name, maybe get ink all over your hands and all that business. Look, Andy, if it's my signature you want, you don't have to beat around the bush. The money's all yours. Mm. I'll be glad to sign it for you. When you want me to do it, you must be anxious to get it done. Oh, no, I ain't anxious. <laughs> 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 Could you go down there now? <laughs> well, I'm expecting a carpenter and a painter to come today. Hmm. Say, how would it be if I went down in the morning with you? Well, all right. Uh, I could pick you up by daybreak. <laughs> <laughs> no, Andy, let's make it by 9 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, well, that's what I say, daybreak. Uh, <laughs> I'll be here at 9 o'clock sharp. So you see, honey, you didn't have to tell me all them things you told me before to get my heart all aflood. I'd have signed the thing anyway. Oh, well, to tell you the truth, I didn't say that just to get you to sign. Honey, when I walked in that door, my heart kind of vibrated a little, too. Oh, Andy, this is just like old time. Oh, come in, Amos. Come in. Well, hello there, Andy. I hear some news, son. I hear some news. Yeah? See, I hear that you has done found Madam Queen and that y'all is going to sign the papers together at 9 o'clock this morning. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, that's right. You're exactly right. Oh, yes, that's sir. good, Andy. I sure was glad to hear that. Yeah, I'm on my way over there to get her right now. Well, you know, I just took a chance. I said to Ruby this morning when I get up, when I hear that thing, I said, I'm going over now and take a chance mm. to come down here to your office. I yeah. thought you might be hanging around here. Yeah, that's right. Boy, I never remember seeing you up this early in the morning, 8.30. Yeah, and it sure do feel strange, too. I got a funny feeling walking down here. 
You know something? The only people on the streets was people going to work. <laughs> uh, tell me, Andy, uh, how does it feel to see Madam Queen after all these years? Well, she's still a nice gal, Amos. You think you've fallen in love with her again, Andy? Oh, I don't know, Amos. Uh, when I see her yesterday, I felt a little feverish. Of course, I don't know whether that's going to turn into love or the flu. <laughs> now, Henry, here's the thing. When Andy and Madam Queen come out of the investment company with the money, we want to be right down there and waiting for them right at the entrance. A charming idea. Now, look here. You and me will play like we just happened to meet down there, and... We'll start talking about an investment like it's just between the two of us, you see. Yes, that's good. Now, then when Andy overhears us and gets interested, we rushes him right over to your office, takes his money, and makes him a stockholder. Well, now, wait a minute. The only thing is, Kingfish, I don't think that we'll get that money away from Andy unless we give him some kind of a stock certificate or something to show our good faith. Yeah, well, now, look here. I done tried everywhere, Henry, and the only thing I could find was my wife's public school diploma. Now, it, it looked a little like a stock certificate, all right. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, I took it away from home. I got it here with me. And by rubbing out her, her name and making a few changes, I think it's going to be all right. Here it is. Well, how in the world could you change that to look like a stock certificate? Yeah, well, I'll read it to you. See here? Uh, this is to certify that Andrew H. Brown, having successfully completed his work in the New York public school system... Hereafter known as the Acme Investment Company. You see, I got that. <laughs> Mr. Brown is hereby graduated on this 10th day of March, 1944, into a preferred $600 stockholder. You see? Very good. Uh, signed Frank T. Evans, superintendent of the Board of Educational Investments. Mm -hmm. uh, there you are, Henry. That that's, uh, sounds smooth enough, don't it? Yes, and in case he ever needs education background, he can always reconvert it back into a diploma. Yeah, now let's get to the place where Andy and Madam Queen is going to get the money and be waiting out in front. There you is, mister. There's my signature. Thank you very much. And, uh, Madam Queen, will you sign right on that line, please? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's it, honey. Uh, right there. Right there. All right. Now, how do you, uh, want the money? Uh, well, give it to me in fives and ones, but give me one $50 bill to wrap around the outside. <laughs> All right, fine. We ain't been downtown together in a long time, Andy. No, you know something? Your eyes is getting prettier, honey. <laughs> Thank you, darling. Look at him. Count that money. Mm. Andy, I done yeah. thought about you a lot. Yeah, well, you know, I'm going to tell you something, too, honey. I has done took out other girls, but I ain't never found nobody to take your place. Mm -hmm. Here you are, 600. Oh, thank you, sir. Boy, look at that horse choking roll. Mm. <laughs> Let me get this 50 on the outside and get this in my pocket. What you doing, Andy? Well, I brung a safety pin along to pin my pocket shut. Yeah, you know, honey... I never will forget the times we have done had together. I thought about you a lot, and I didn't know whether to write you or not. Yeah, we sure had a lot of plans together, didn't we, sweetheart? Sure did. I still got your picture on my dress. Oh, sure enough? Mm-hmm. 
we've been standing out in front of this place waiting for them for 20 minutes. I wish they'd come on out. Well, I checked on the side door. That ain't open. They can't get out that way. Yeah, well, oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here they come. Everything is working great. Well, Kingfish, Henry. Madam Queen. Hello, Madam Queen. Kingfish. Well, Henry Van Porter, let me take off my glasses and look at you. Yeah, well, this sure is a coincidence to run into y'all down here. Ha, ha, ha. Yes, I sure is. I ain't seen y'all in a long time. Yes, it's been ages. Charming to see you again. Oh, sure is charming. Yeah, uh, how'd you come out there, Andy? Oh, fine. Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, uh, me and Henry has got one of the greatest investments in the world. We sure have. Uh, 600, huh, Andy? 600. Oh, this is even a greater investment than we thought it was. Oh, by far. Oh, you know, Madam Queen... We want to help, Andy. You got a great fella there. I say he's a great fella. Oh, sure is. You so... know what he done done? He just slapped a whole $600 into trust fund and both our names. And neither one of us can draw a penny out for five years. <laughs> Next Friday evening at this same time, we will again bring you the Amos and Andy Show. Be sure to be with us then. That's next Friday over these same stations. Our program is broadcast to our armed forces everywhere. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for all of us, bidding all of you a pleasant good night. Read Conflict with Shadows. A fast-paced story of invading darkness. The first in a series of light versus darkness, and the connection with the past to help fight for the future. When the Bathshe invade, John Vega and Nicolay Dan must come together to stop them from destroying their worlds. It will lead them far beyond known space only to find out that this is more than a battle for territory, but a battle for the souls of mankind. But there is always hope. Pick up a copy of Conflict with Shadows at your favorite online bookstore. The English colonies in America begin with mystery. The first colony is Roanoke on an island off Virginia. And it vanishes. Vanishes. Not a sign of conflict. Not a cup broken. The leader of the colony is in England getting supplies. And when he returns, he finds the island deserted. The houses are still standing, but the people have gone. Why didn't they leave him a message? The only sign is the letters C-R-O cut in a tree and the word Croatoan carved on a doorpost. What did they mean? Well, that's one mystery, the Roanoke colony. But there's a greater mystery to be solved. Why any of the settlers came here in the first place? Who would want to settle in this new world at the price of such hardships? Water is not fit for a pig to drink. Sick enough already. We don't need that revolting stuff in our poor stomachs. Oh, but the thirst. 
two months out. God knows how many days ahead. Seventeen men dead. Four women. I forget how many children. The fever. Scurvy. Dysentery's got us all clawing at our innards, turning babies inside out with pain. How many more of us will have to die? We can understand what brought the adventurers here, the men with gold in their eyes, and the men of the cross seeking salvation by converting the natives to Christianity. But what brought these others, these farmers, these family men, these settlers? All the meat spoiled, weevils in the grain, maggots crawling all over the cheese, lice crawling all over us. How many more of us will have to die before we touch the land? Before we touch the land. Land is part of the answer to the mystery of why they come. Rich or stony, fertile or clay, the land is there. Endless forests, rivers that run clear and flash with fish. Deer and quail and rabbits that belong to the land, not to some king Dear or nobleman. Help. Moose and bear. Blackberries, blueberries, raspberries, mulberries. And strawberries. Chestnuts, hickory nuts, walnuts, beech nuts. Hares and possums and squirrels. Grouse and woodcock and quail. Clams and oysters. Scallops, mussels and crabs. Lobsters. Mackerel, haddock. Free land, full of creatures and rich with promise. But the land is not an easy host. In the north, at Plymouth, only 50 pilgrims lived through the first hard winter of 1620. And then, on an afternoon the following spring, they suddenly stop what they are doing and watch in wonder and fear as a strange procession appears outside their stockade. Look! Look there! Where? They are on the rise. <gasps> now do you see them? Get your muskets. Must be a hundred of them. Look at the knives they carry. And those hatchets. Look at that big one there, the one in front, all painted up. Must be their leader. The leader is Massasoit, chief of the Wampanoags. Great chief over all from Cape Cod to Narragansett Bay. He and 60 of his warriors have walked 40 miles to this colony of settlers at Plymouth Bay. Massasoit stands still a moment, looking at the settlement and the strange people with their frightened white faces. Then he motions to a brave standing beside him. Look, that one next to the leader is stepping forward. Keep an eye on him. One move of that hatchet of his. He's going to speak. Welcome, Englishman. Good heavens, the savage speaks English. This savage is Tisquantum, who has earlier been captured as a slave by an English raider and taken to Spain where he escaped to England. By the time he found his way home, he spoke English very well indeed. It is he, Tisquantum, who sees the little colony through the difficult winter of 1621. He teaches the English settlers how to hunt and how to plant the corn that will mean the difference between starving and surviving. The seeds must be planted in little hillocks like this, you see. Mm. Yes, I see, like this. And the hillocks must be properly spaced. And in each hillock you must lay three fish, like petals of a flower, with their heads toward the center. This will make the corn grow high. Three fish to each hillock. Well, I don't know. That's a lot of fish, and we don't seem to be able to catch too many. Well, I'll show you how to build a little basket of vines to trap the fish. 
you'll have plenty both to eat and for planting your corn. In spite of the help of the natives, most of the settlers naturally enough see them through English eyes. The settlers look out and what they see are strange looking men. Savages. Dressed in hides. Because of course they have no knowledge of the art of weaving. Living in lodges framed on poles and covered with reed matting or hides stretched tight. No separate rooms, no doors. Working hard to gather enough supplies for the winter and then relaxing with their families and friends telling the old stories. Lazy. Respecting the spirit of the earth and feeling brotherhood with all creatures. Even. And sharing the land among them. Childlike, really. They are not settled somehow. They don't seem able to settle down and decide what belongs to whom. Very untidy and primitive. Really, hardly human. But at least one man sees the American natives through different eyes. Roger Williams. The English king, so far from this shore, so far from these woods, these rivers, this bay, so far from the quail and the deer, the English king has no right to give grants and patents to land that belongs to the Mohegans and the Narragansetts and the Wampanoags. Roger Williams, zealous and wordy and passionate, is a man of great charm, but he is troublesome to his fellow colonists, first at Massachusetts Bay and then at Plymouth. Roger Williams, thy sentence is... Banishment. Banishment? Banishment. Banishment. They tell thee that thee can stay through the winter, Roger. But they plan to seize thee and ship thee back to England. So Roger Williams slips away into the winter landscape along the overland trail to Narragansett. He survives the winter in the wilderness because his friends, the Indians, take him into their homes and share with him the warmth of their fires and their food. These people, these Indians... Some of them have given the settlers food and skills and friendship. Perhaps they have given them something more. Something that will help shape the conscience of their new land. Even the most industrious and earnest settlers usually have to learn new skills the hard way. Now, to build a house, you have to shape the logs. And to shape the logs, they must be squared with a broad axe. And, and food for the wilderness course. home doesn't arrive as it did in an English town. A hog butchering? You're inviting me to a hog butchering. <laughs> Sounds quite merry. Oh, it is. It's a great chance for a get-together. Yes, yeah, sounds festive, really, but uh, I don't know the slightest thing about killing a hog. I, I've never even seen one killed. Well, it's about time, then. Oh, oh there'll be lots of men to do the hard part, like... Cracking its head with an axe and cutting its throat. Oh. I always catch the blood, you know, for puddings. Oh. Then they hoist him up and dip him into a great kettle to scald. To scald? Well, yes. To loosen the bristle. It's got to be scraped off. That's where we come in. We do? We, yes, we cut him all up. Then we clean the intestines to use for stuffing sausages. And then we... Betsy, what on earth? You're green as a plum. To those who are far from home and the familiar things, fear can grow to fill the loneliness. They cannot understand. 
Thee cannot possibly understand what it means to be here on the edge of that dark forest. It never knows what is out there, waiting right out there. Often I feel there's something watching me. A wolf, a panther, an Indian. Who knows what it might be. And the nights. At night the wolves howl. And I cannot even speak of it. And then the hutong. I can't explain it, but that frightens me most of all. Such a lonely sound. Them bloody savages. They've murdered the trader. Who? Old John, out on the Beechwood Trail. Pequot savages killed him dead. Why? Why'd they kill him? You think they need reasons? Agents of Satan. But they'll not get away that easy. They'll taste the wrath of a righteous hand. We'll smite him. With God's good grace, we'll smite the heathen Pequot and be done. So someone, maybe not even a Pequot, has killed the traitor John Oldham. And so the settlers go off to punish the Pequots and burn a Pequot encampment. And so the Pequots return the attack. And so, in early summer of 1637, men from the Connecticut colony fire the main Pequot encampment, burning it to the ground and roasting alive or shooting 600 of its people. I wonder who did kill John Oldham, trader. The Indians fail to see their common fate. They often regard each other as enemies and have been warring up and down the coast for as long as memory. Long after the slaughter of the Pequots, the old Wampanoag chief, Massasoit, still regards the English settlers as friends and allies. I would like my sons to bear English names. They have been called Wamsutta and Metacom. I petition the General Court of Plymouth Colony for new names for my son. Uh, 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 yes, uh, the petition is acknowledged, Great Massasoit. The uh, General Court shall give it prompt and uh, a due consideration. We cannot give these savages Christian names. We simply cannot. I know, I know. We'll look back to the ancients. It's the only way. Uh, we, we have come to a decision, Great Chief. Thy son, Wamsotta, shall henceforth be known as Alexander. Thy son, Metacom, shall henceforth be known as Philip. It is well. Alexander and Philip. Philip means a lover of horses. And the governor gives the young prince a black stallion. And the old chief is pleased. Twenty years later, the stallion is dead, the old chief is dead, Alexander is dead, friendship is dead. Too late, the Indians band together against the settlers. Five tribes who are tired of broken treaties and stolen land gather together. Their leader, Philip, son of Massasoit. In the war that follows, colonists and Indians slaughter each other, towns are destroyed, women and children are butchered or die of starvation. Both sides suffer grievously. After more than a year of fighting, King Philip is betrayed and captured. They behead him and hang his head from a pike at the gate of Plymouth Fort. 
thus the Christians of 1676. They sell his wife and nine-year-old son into slavery. But the Indian resistance is at an end. King Philip's war is over. The Pequot War, King Philip's War, wolves, rattlesnakes, harsh winters, and yet the settlement of the new land goes on. Trees are felled, fields are cleared, and new crops are planted. It's rice in the Carolinas, but tobacco is king in the other southern colonies of the 17th century, as cotton will be king later. The price of tobacco in London is high and rising, and the new habit of smoking grows, in spite of King James' description of a dead man whose body cut open contained a bushel of soot. But with either rice, tobacco, or cotton, two things are needed. Rich soil, which the colonists have once they drive back the Indians, and cheap, unskilled labor, which they get from Africa. Come on, you heathen, what's the luck? Fifty, you say? I don't like the look of that fellow there. Looks sickly. Toss him out. And that man there looks past his working prime. I don't want him. The rest will do, I suppose. But we'll just have a little look at their teeth first, you know. Then you can run them aboard ship. The ship with its cargo of slaves now rides three weeks off the African coast heading west. The hold is unusually quiet this hot afternoon. The captives lying still in horror, their breath coming heavy. Breathing here is always hard. The stench of the bodies, both living and dead. The stench of the rotting fish fed the slaves. There's always the smell of fear here, too. But today, it's the smell of terror and disbelief. This morning, three blacks tried a mutiny. Two of them finally managed to throw themselves over the side of the ship, welcoming a cold death in a passionless sea. The third swings there now. They're on the deck. His body swings slowly back and forth in the stillness of this hot afternoon. The northern colonies have slaves, though never very many, but slavery in the south feeds the north nevertheless. New England provides many of the ships used in the slave trade. And in smaller ways, slavery nourishes the north. And what do you do with the rest of them fish there in your catch, Andrew? Surely no one will buy such queer, wrinkly creatures. Oh, yes. The West Indies planters will, to feed their field hands. I don't get much for them, mind, but it's better than nothing. Even this early, the stage is set for the conflict ahead between those who see slavery as an evil and those who see it as an economic necessity. But there's an older conflict even than that involved here. The conflict between people who let themselves imagine what another man's life is like and those who do not. Because of the king's debt to one of his admirals, America gains one of her most important colonies. Philadelphia? What an odd name. Another of those outrageous Indian names, is it? No, no, it's from the Greek. It means the city of brotherly love. Hmm, brotherly love. Yes, uh, William Penn has stated that he wishes to afford asylum to the good and uh, to the oppressed of every land. He desires to show men as free and as happy as they can be. Land is one reason settlers come to the New World. Another has to do with conscience, with the spirit. 
against the backdrop of a Europe bloodied by the Inquisition and broken into Protestant factions, the settlers seek a land where they can follow their religion without fear. It's not that they want religious freedom for everyone, of course, just for themselves. All feminists, Anabaptists, and other enthusiasts shall have free liberty to keep away from us. In Massachusetts, the Puritans have set up a community ruled by the church leaders, a theocracy. The long arm of the pulpit reaches its accusing finger into every home, and fear stalks the righteous down each street of the colony. There are incredible droves of devils in our way. And fear of sin grows to hysteria until the colony gives off a ghastly howl and the witch hunts are on accusing voices that in a saner time would have never been heard, are heard clearly now. In Salem, five great stones and bricks were thrown by an invisible hand into the room. And the cat was hurled at me. A chair flew about, almost hitting the food on the table. And my little boy, that was the worst. Knives, one after another, all stuck into his poor little back. Stuck in by an invisible hand and pulled out just in time. And three times he was thrown into the fire. And then he barked like a dog. The devil has made a dreadful knot of witches in the country. And by the help of witches has dreadfully increased that knot. One night, as I was crossing the field, Martha Carrier, or, or rather the voice of Martha Carrier told me that in two or three days I should be poisoned. And yes, half of my hand and half of my face swelled up. Martha Carrier cursed me, and then I had a swelling on my foot. Martha Carrier has clapped her hands at me, and my cattle have died strange deaths. Martha Carrier, what do thee say in thy defense? I... I... Filtered through hysteria, the accused are never quite heard by the court. As presiding judge, I condemn thee, Martha Carrier, to death. Martha Carrier is marched from the jail through the hot summer streets and the staring crowd. Essex Street to Boston Street and then up Gallows Hill, where she is hanged. Well, Satan has lost a finger today. Oh, Jane, did you see how old and lumpy she looked? So pathetic. I remember her when she used to help milk Cooper's cows, and I'd sometimes hear her singing to them, and... Oh, she took so long to die. Hanging there, all crooked and lumpy. Gentle, in her old gray dress. Be careful. People could hear you. They'll say he speaks on behalf of the devil. Yes, Satan has lost a finger today. Before the compassion and common sense of the people of Salem wake them from this nightmare, 20 are hanged. There is one further reason why men endure hardship to come and settle in the new world. England at this time is a place of violence and poverty, where life is cheap. 
A ten-year-old boy is hanged for stealing a penknife. The jails, dank and filthy and brutal, are full of debtors living out their days in despair. One member of Parliament, James Oglethorpe, asks for and receives a charter to establish a new colony in America, a place of refuge for the poor debtors now languishing in English jails. This 13th and last British colony to be established in America is named Georgia in honor of the king, George II. So now I plan to clear this land here, just a little at a time. And when my first year's crops are in, I'll look to getting a wife to cook and help me in the fields. Someone to talk to. And then, well, we'll see when the time comes. The ship and the voyage over? I've almost forgotten it already. No, it wasn't pleasant. But after the London jail, it seemed all right to me. And when we got here, and when I saw this land and scooped up a little of that rich soil in my hand and let it trickle through, well, it was worth it. It was certainly worth it. This has been another program in the series Our Nation's Heritage produced and presented as a public service by Standard Oil Company of California. For a Christian sci-fi with humor, adventure and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey. Travel with Jarl through the universe and several dimensions as he unearths items to help those struggling to survive on Earth during the catastrophic conclusion of the age. GraceGrows.com has more information. Read Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey by Grace S. Gross. Journey into Space. BBC presents Jet Morgan in Operation Luna. After taking off from the moon, Jet Morgan and the crew of rocket ship Luna landed back on the Earth some thousands of years before or after they left it. All efforts to determine at what period of time they'd landed were useless, for besides sighting other spaceships, which hovered overhead as though observing them, and seeing a strange machine which came out of the forest one night and returned before dawn, Jet had found a stone knife near their campfire. The evidence seemed to suggest that they had landed at a period of time when there existed on Earth not only a super-civilization, but also a very primitive one. And then, early one morning, the strange music which had been heard so often before was heard again. Jet turned on the televiewer to find that outside the ship, another spaceship had landed, identical with the one that Mitch had seen and entered on the moon. Jet decided to try and contact it by radio. Hey, Jet. Here's the helmets. 
Do we put them on now? Yes, put them on and turn them on, all of you. And then listen, see if you hear anything. Yeah, mine's on. Yes, so's mine. Chet, I can hear something. Yes. And it's getting louder. Oh, well, is that all we get? That's nothing new. Hello, Luna. Blimey. That is... Quiet, Lemmy. A human voice. It came over the radio. It came from there. There's somebody or something in that ship. And whatever it is, it speaks English. Wouldn't it be rather awkward if I didn't? Oh, yes, I suppose it would. Who are you? What do you want? We only want to help you. How? It is not safe for you to remain where you are. Well, it's a pity you didn't think of that before you planted us down here. Quiet, Lemmy. We don't know who you are or, or what you want of us. All we ask of you is to leave your own ship and enter ours. Enter yours? No harm will come to you. You needn't be afraid. We're not afraid, just cautious. You speak for yourself, mate. We can help you if you want us to, but you must do as I say. Are you anything to do with that ship we saw on the moon? Yes, we are. Then who are you? Leave your own ship and come in here. You come in here. Why don't you show yourself? We cannot show ourselves. Why not? Here, are you invisible? Hey, are you? No, but I am not in this ship. What? What are we going to do about this? Stay where we are, of course. It'd be balmy to go out there. Not necessarily. What? Well, no harm came to you, Mitch, in that ship on the moon. Well, I wasn't conscious of anything strange going on, but... But if all of us go into that ship, who knows what might happen? I think we should find out more about this before we even set foot outside. I quite agree, a lot more. I'll talk to him. Hello, whoever you are. I can hear you. Then you must know how we feel. I know exactly how you feel. We know how we felt when we first saw you. But we have no intention of harming you. Can you prove that? Have we harmed you up to now? Oh, no. Apart from knocking us right out of our own time into heaven knows where, you haven't harmed us at all. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Then go ahead. Well, in the first place, have you anything to do with our being here now? Possibly. That's a great help. And how about that perishing music we keep hearing? Is that anything to do with you? Music? Yes, music. What is music? You, do, you don't know what music is? No. Wow. Music, it, it's a kind of noise. It, it, sort of, it goes up and down. And uh, when you hear it, well, it makes you feel good. Except your music, that makes you feel dreadful. A noise, you say? Yes, a peculiar kind of noise. Like this? Yes, that's it. That's it, exactly. That noise has been dogging us ever since we left Earth. And whenever we hear it, something always happens to us. What is it? What did you do? All I did was turn on the power. The power that drives your ship? The power that drives everything. But what kind of power is it? What other power is there? Look, look, how, how do you generate it? What do you mean? Where do you get this power from? It exists everywhere. It covers the whole universe. All you have to do is use it. Like the heat from the sun. It's there. Already. For anybody to use. Good grief. If, if only I had that secret. If only man had that secret. What couldn't he do? Man. What is man? What? Aren't you a man? I don't think so. Aren't you like us? Don't you look like us? No. We are very unlike you. Well, what are you like? You'll find out. 
If you come into this ship. Oh, no, not yet. We need to know a few things more first. Go ahead. It was you on the moon, wasn't it? Well, one of our ships. Weren't you in it? No. Then where were you? Exactly where I am now. You mean those ships on the moon were some kind of reconnaissance craft? You might call them that. And did you send them specially to look for us? No, we didn't. We were very surprised to find you there. Not half so surprised as we were to find you. Then where are you from? From the other side of the universe. That's what Mitch told us, remember? Leave your own ship and come into ours. Look, will you give us a few minutes to talk this thing over? Certainly. Can we call you back? There is really no need. I can't go away. Then you don't mind if we switch off our radios. We have to conserve power. When you call, I will ask. Switch off your sets, all of you. Yeah, right. uh, that's mine. Well, what do you make of that? We must go out there, do as he says. Now, wait a minute, Mitch. But why? He says we'll come to no harm and none of us ever has, yet. Yeah, but it doesn't mean to say we won't, does it? Just think what we could learn from those, well, whatever they are. Why, even to have the secret of the motive power of their ships would be worth the risk. I think we should go, do everything he says. Well, what do you think, Doc? Well, in many ways, I agree with Mitch. But if they can help us, as they say they can, why can't they do it here and now? Why do we have to go into their ship? And if we do, where will they take us? That's what worries me. Well, it's something we could ask about. Well, go on, then. See what he says. I will, in good time. Let's see if we've anything else to ask first. I don't care what you ask. I want to go. If you three haven't the heart for it, then you can remain behind. If anybody goes, we all go. This is one time I think we should all stick together. But who knows what might happen to this ship if we go off and leave it? If anything catastrophic is going to happen, do you think one or two people remaining here will prevent it? No, I don't suppose so. Blimey, get to hear you talk. You think you were as keen to go as Mitch? Well, perhaps I am. I want to get to the bottom of this. Find out who controls that ship, where he comes from, where he is now. And if he is anything to do with our being in this awful mess. And if he is... Then we have a good chance of persuading him to get us out of it again. Now nah, you're talking sense. Well, we might at that, I suppose. Well, we'll put it to the vote. Do we go or not? Yeah, we go. Doc? If you and Mitch agree, then I'll string along. Oh, there's no need to ask me. You've got your majority, ain't you? Right, then. Switch on that radio, Lemmy. Yes, Chet. Radio on. Hello? Hello? Yes? If we enter that thing, what will happen to us? It will take off. With you in it. Where to? Not very far. Well, why do we have to go there in your ship? It would take you a long time to walk. But why can't you come to us? Why do we have to come to you? It is safer. You are in great danger where you are. We want to protect you from it. What kind of danger? Look, why bother with all this? If we're going, let's go. Quiet, Mitch. We'll go when I'm good and ready. But this is just a waste of time. I said be quiet. Oh, all right. You have your natter, but do hurry up. Tell me one thing more. Yes? This danger you talk of, is it a threat to us personally or to our ship? I don't think your ship is likely to come to any harm. But you probably will. And very soon. Now, come on, Jet. He couldn't say much more, could he? It's better all around that we should go. And if it isn't? If you don't like where we shall take you, you can always return. All right. Give us a few minutes to get ready and, and we'll come. And bring your radios with you. What for? So that we can talk to each other. They are our only means of communication at the moment. Very well, we'll bring them. I'll call you again when we're outside.
there's no point in just standing here looking at it. Let's go in. Lemmy, what are you doing? Oh, just making sure this thing's solid. That the whole thing isn't just a dream. It's solid, all right. And there's the door open and the ladder extended. Oh, we'd better not all go in at once. I'll go first. Now, keep your radios on, and if it's OK, I'll tell you. All right. All right. Take your time, Jet. Have a good look round before you actually go in. Radio on. Now, climbing ladder. You can hear every sound. It's like the old ship. It's a great transmitter. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, Jet. What can you see? Nothing. Nothing? Well, no more than Mitch did. Seems to be the same kind of ship exactly. With the octagonal panels round the wall? Yes. And the row of buttons above each one. Certainly seems nothing to worry about here. I'm going inside. Now. Well, I'm in. Inside the cabin or whatever it is. And you don't feel peculiar or, or anything? No, quite normal. I think you might as well come up, all of you. Okay, here we come. Well, what do you think? Nothing here that tells us anything. What can all those panels mean? Why are they all different colours? What are all them buttons? What happens if we press them? Uh, no, no, don't touch a thing. Now, leave this to me. Hello? Yes? Well, we're all inside. Now what do we do? Just stay where you are. And don't be afraid. Right. We're waiting. Oh, blimey. What's happening? It's the dome. It's closing. We're being shut in. Here, let me get out of here. No, wait. Don't let me. Hey. Well... Whether we like it or not, the door's shut. We couldn't get out now, even if we wanted to. Well, what next? Well, why don't you call up the Wizard of Oz and ask him? He said we were going to take off. Sounds like we are, too. Let me stand back, stand back. Hey? The floor near you, it's opening up. Oh, oh, blimey! Get back to the wall, all of you. Flat against the wall. Oh, oh, it's a good thing you warned me, Mitch. I, I might have fallen into that thing. Did any of you notice any crack in the floor to show there was a panel just there? Not me, Jet. Well, if they all fit as well as that one, we're not likely to. Here, for all we know, the floor is full of sliding panels, all circular like that one. Well, if it is, none of them seems to be opening. Here, do you think, oh, um, whatever he is, he, he's down there? Well, he said he wasn't in this ship, didn't he? Yeah, maybe he ain't, but a couple of his mates might be. Why do you stand there? Why don't you go down? Into that hole? Unless you do... The ship won't take off. Well, why can't it take off with us up here? It can, if you wish. But you'll find it most uncomfortable. Oh. Do you prefer to stay where you are? I prefer to get out altogether. That can be arranged, if you really want to. Yes, I do. And the quicker the better. Does that go for all of you? No, wait a minute. Yes? Would you let us out again, if we asked you? Of course. We don't wish you to do anything against your will. You entered this ship quite voluntarily. You can leave it again whenever you like. Then we'll stay. There, now, wait. I said we'll it? stay. Yes, Jim. What do you want us to do now? Go down into the lower cabin, and the hatch will close. And then? The ship will take off and bring you here. Where you are? Yes. All right, gentlemen. I'll lead the way. Yeah, but it's so dark down there. It... Hey, hey, look. A light came on. And there's a ladder leading down. Well, go on, Jet. I don't think there's anything to be scared of. Not in here, anyway. You want to bet? All right. Here I go. After you, Mitch. It's okay, Doc. Hey, Lemmy, come on. Yeah, I'm coming. And uh, it's ain't a thing I want to rush into. Go on, Lemmy. Nothing will harm you. Oh, Lemmy now, is it? Well, I'm going, ain't I? Then why do you hesitate? 
Your friends are already down. Come on, Lemmy, what are you doing? I'm coming. Go on, then. Here. How do you know what I'm doing? Can you see me? Of course. But how? You say you're not even here. How do you look around your ship without going outside? Well, through the tele... Oh, all right, you win. Jet, here I'll come. Well, come on, then. What's this, the bargain basement? Here. That panel's closing again. He said it would. Wow. This is really something, isn't it? Where does the light come from? Eh? Well, where does it? There, there are no lamps of any kind that I can see. It's like the walls are glowing, a sort of super-diffused lighting. It's those octagonal panels again. It seems to come from there. And, and what's this? Some kind of control table, I'd say. What else can it be? You think that all those buttons in the upper cabin would be controls too, then? Well, why not? I'd say they were more of a decoration. Now, look, the way this ship's designed, I doubt if there's a single thing in it that doesn't serve a practical purpose. This is a control panel of some kind, I'd swear it. But why have a control panel in a ship that's remote controlled? Maybe it isn't all the time. Our own ship was remote controlled for the takeoff from Earth, but we've handled it ourselves ever since. But if this ship is ever manually operated, wouldn't there be seats or something for the crew to sit on? Yeah, you would have thought so. Well, this cabin's virtually empty. No provision for the comfort of a crew anywhere. All seats and such like could be folded back into the walls and, and released only when needed. Maybe the buttons on this panel operate some of those very things. No, no Mitch, don't touch them. <laughs> you don't think I'm crazy, do you? Here, yeah, now, if this is a remote-controlled ship... Well? Would them others be crew carriers? Which others? Well, the ones that came and gave us the once-over yesterday, the, the bell-shaped ones. Well, they might at that, Lemmy. They were certainly different from this, and much bigger, too. Hey, what's this? What? Uh, this thing. A sphere, about a foot in diameter. And what's it made of? Some kind of glass or highly polished plastic or something. I wonder what's inside it. And what it's for. Funny place for it to be, too. Right in the center of the cabin. Why a sphere? Well, I don't think that's very surprising, really. Well, how do you mean? Well, the whole ship seems to be built to a spherical or circular pattern. The thing itself is round, like a donut. The roof is a dome. The hatch is circular. And but for the flat floor, this cabin is spherical. And even the control panel, if it is a control panel, is disc-shaped. Everything is curved. How about those octagonal panels in the walls, Jet? Yeah, they intrigue me more than anything. I bet the whole secret of how this ship works and the power it uses lies behind there. Oh, the whole ship is certainly of a most unusual design. So simple. I'll bet it works in the same way, if we only knew how. Well, why don't we try to find out? We've got the chance. Let's take a good look round, examine everything in sight, see if we can find the slightest clue as to how this thing might function. Yeah, right. Yeah, good sorry. idea. didn't take long, did it? How could it? There's hardly anything to see. It's the same wherever you look. Well, it makes it difficult to keep any sense of direction, doesn't it? One walk round this cabin and you don't know whether you're coming or going. Yeah, like when you wake suddenly in the night and look for the window, only to find it in the wrong wall. Yeah, except for the air, there aren't any windows. Well, there aren't any in our ship, either. But at least we got an air conditioner. Well, there must be something of the sort here. Then where is it? Well, there must be some kind of air supply, Lemmy, else how could we breathe? That's what's worrying me. I think we're just using the air that came in when the door opened. But as soon as that's gone, 
We've had it. Good and proper. Now, now, that can't be. The air seems quite fresh. Certainly hasn't got any hotter. At least I haven't noticed it. Me neither. But there must be some kind of supply coming from somewhere. Well, if there is, it'd be a kind that the fellows who built this ship could breathe, wouldn't it? Of course, Lemmy. And how do we know that that, uh, whatever it is, won't poison us? No, I don't think they can be all that different from us, Lemmy. Or how could they exist on the Earth at all? Look, we haven't seen anybody yet. All we've done is hear a voice. He may not even be on the Earth. Might be on Mars or Venus or somewhere. Well, I doubt if he's that far away. Yes, but Lemmy has a point there. They may be very different from us, exist in quite a different way. Well, he said he was unlike us, didn't he? Well, it is possible, of course. I think it's more than just possible. Look at this place. But for that oversized football and the control panel, this cabin is completely empty. No seats, no couches, no food, no water, no nothing. Here. Perhaps they don't exist physically at all. Then how come they need physical ships? Why build them in the first place? Well, just because they build them don't mean they've got to fly in them any more than a meteorologist flies in a weather balloon. But supposing they do fly in them, that they have some kind of physical shape, they may be much tougher than us. Perhaps high acceleration doesn't affect them at all. Maybe that's why they can fly so fast, manoeuvre so easily. If they start throwing this thing around the way they do their other ships, they'll probably kill us all. Yeah, but do they realise that? Do they know exactly how much the human body can stand? Look, Jed, I think we'd better try and contact them. Make sure they do realise just what kind of creatures we are. Yeah, tell them, uh, take it easy. Tell them we're weak, very weak. Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Hello? Try him again, Jed. Hello? Hello, crew of Luna calling, can you hear me? Hello? The radio seems to be dead, I can't hear a thing. Well, I can. Eh? Yes, I can, that music. Not quite the same as before, but I can hear it. Yeah, so can I. There's some kind of pressure building up. Can't you feel it? Yeah. Yeah. We must be taking off. We are taking off. This ship's on the move in a vertical climb. Hello. Hello. Blimey, we'll be squashed flat. I know it. Hello. Hello. Pressure's getting stronger. Look, we better lie down, all of us. What, on the floor? Yeah, where else? With no shock absorbers to protect us or anything? Lie down, Lemmy. All of you, lie flat. Oh, Pressure seems to be less now. Yes, we must have stopped climbing. Yeah, but we haven't stopped moving. We've just straightened out, that's all. And I feel fine. Oh, we panicked over nothing. Well, do we get up now or just lie here? Get up, all of you. Uh, if only we could see where we were going. Oh, it's uncanny. Hurtling through the air like this and we don't even know which way up we are. I'll call him again. Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Hello? No go? Not a peep. You'd better all listen. Maybe my battery's given out or something. Well, in that case, there's no point in you calling him, because he won't be hearing you anyway. Look, I'll try. Maybe I'll have better luck. Hello? Hello? Come in, please. Hello? Hello? No, not a sound. How about you, Lemmy? No, my set's as dead as a door now. Yeah, so's mine. It can't just be the batteries, then, can it? They wouldn't all run down at the same time. Well, something's put them out of action. It must be because we're in this cabin. Why? Well, they were working all right before we came down here, weren't they? Yeah, but I don't think that can be the reason. Why not? Well, this has happened to us before, on the moon and out in space. The electrical equipment, the radio especially, is packed in time and again. 
and always when we've heard that music. Here. Didn't that Mr. Mystery say that music happens when he turns on the power that drives his ship? Yes, of course. Whatever force that is, it must set up a powerful magnetic field, one strong enough to neutralise all the equipment in our ship, the radio in particular. You mean that whenever the radio cut, it was because one of those ships was around, flying near us? Well, it's as likely an explanation as any. And the more ships there are, and the closer they come, the stronger the effect. Yes, that would account for the fact that nothing worked before taking off from the moon. Ships like this must have been all around us. What else could it have been? I'll bet the minute that music stops, the radios will work again. I don't know about that, but something's happening here. Hey, This darn fishbowl, it's, it's beginning to glow. And what's the... Hey, there's something appearing on it. Yeah, it, it's a model. A model? What do you mean? It's like those things you see in glass cases in the Geological Museum. A relief map. Yeah, that's it. A relief map such as I've never seen before, with every tiny detail. But what's it a map of? Country not unlike that we just left. There's the river. Yes. And the cultivated fields along its banks. And the forest, at least a, a part of it. Here. Here, do, do I look all right? Why shouldn't you? I don't look dizzy or anything. <laughs> not in the sense you mean. Why? Well, if it, if it wasn't, I know it's impossible. I'll, I'll say that map, uh, model or whatever it is, is moving. What? Eh? Yes, it is. At first I thought it must be my imagination. Look, you see that clump of trees? Uh -huh. Well, they weren't there a moment ago. Well, where did they come from? And where'd they go to? The trees on this side are disappearing. Yes. It's like they're going right through the glass, but nothing comes out. Good heavens, I know what that is. A three-dimensional televiewer. Eh? That's not a map at all. It's a reproduction of the country we're flying over. But, That's why it's moving. But it looks so solid, Jeff. It gives that illusion, certainly. But if we broke open the case, I doubt very much if there'd be anything to touch. Wow. What would the TV boys back home give for this? Yeah, but why have it in a glass bowl? One on a screen. Does it matter? This method is probably the best there is for a three-dimensional televiewer. Maybe this is how all three-dimensional receivers should be made. Maybe every telecinema should be constructed this way. What, you mean have the audience sit round the screen instead of in front of it? Well, why not? Could you have anything better than this? It's as though there were an observing hatch in the floor. It's so real. Well, I don't know what kind of people they are that built this ship, but they're way ahead of our time, streets ahead. Blimey, you're right, too. You couldn't be right. What do you mean? Well, look, see? Just coming into view. Streets, a, a city or town or something, down there by the river. Oh, yeah. Is that where the voice is? Is that where we're going? How high do you think we are, Jet? Always supposing that this picture is a true representation of what lies below us. Well, I don't know how much this gadget reduces things, but I'd say about five miles. And it must be a fairly big town. There's still a lot of it coming into the picture. And the houses seem to be built on a spherical principle, too. Yeah, there must be Eskimos. Either that or they're not houses at all. What else could they be? Spaceships, just like those bell-shaped ones that flew over us. Could be. It's not easy to tell from this height. And we're almost directly overhead now. It looks as though we're going to pass them by. Perhaps we're not stopping here at all. Hey, hey, look, down there, see? To one side of the town or whatever it is. More spheres, but much smaller. Yeah, from up here they look just like toadstools. They must be the ships. That must be a landing or a parking field. Oh, the larger spheres must be houses. Or larger ships. Uh, they could be at that. Well, whatever they are, it doesn't look as though we're going to land there. We're leaving them behind rapidly. Well, then where are we going? Well, how should I know? I'm not the guide on this trip, Lemmy. Well, we might keep going for days, weeks maybe. What do we do for food and drink? Oh, if we'd had any sense, we'd have brought some with us. How were we to know we'd need it? That voice, whatever he was, he said he wasn't taking us very far. And in any case, he was taking us away from a danger of some kind. If that's true, is it likely that he'd keep us penned up in here long enough for us to starve to death? Well, there's nothing we can do about it now. 
We can't even call him up, not with the radios out of action. Then what do we do? Wait and hope. At least with this televiewer contraption, we've got something to look at. We can see the kind of country we're travelling over. That's better than travelling in the dark. Falling, we're going down. Well, do they have to be in such a hurry about it? A sudden drop turned my stomach right over. If we continue to fall at this rate, we'll hit the ground with a heck of a crash. They ain't got no respect for their own property. Uh, hold on. What two? The walls are as smooth as glass. The base of the televiewer. Put your arms round it and bend your knees. Oh, don't have to. There can't be more than a few thousand feet to go. Oh, oh, blimey. They slowed up kind of sudden, didn't they? Oh, I'll have no stomach left at all in a minute. We're going to make a gentle landing anyway. We've made it. We're down. This must be where we change. Change is right. But for what? You have been listening to episode nine of Journey into Space with Andrew Foles as Jet Morgan, Alfie Bass as Lemmy, Guy Kingsley Pointer as Doc, and David Williams as Mitch, and with Derek Guyler. The orchestra was conducted by Van Phillips, who also composed the music. Journey into Space was written and produced for the BBC by Charles Chilton. Looking for a book that combines the Christian faith with a fantasy adventure? Creators Call does just that. Eighteen-year-old Edward has been raised with tales of distant lands where dragons and other strange beasts dwell. He dreams of one day joining the Keepers, who fight against them to keep the land safe, however, life's obstacles keep him firmly rooted in the small town of Cadestone. When seventeen-year-old June comes passing through, following a dream given to her by the creator of the universe, Edward's life is about to change. Pursued by a demon-possessed man, the two of them are forced to flee to areas where dragons and monsters are not just tales but reality. June and Edward eventually discover what the demons want from them. Is it possible to defeat this evil and save everyone from the darkness that threatens their lands? Creator's Call is a Christian fantasy novel with clear Christian messages. A book that glorifies God while taking you on an adventure. Pick up a copy of Creator's Call today. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun Smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal.
trouble could start any time in Dodge, but usually it was at night that the men made their play along Front Street, and so ordinarily I was up a good part of the night and did my sleeping in the morning. It was a rare thing for me to be out in the early day, and for some reason it worried Chester. I just don't understand why you couldn't sleep, Mr. Dillon. Unless you had the colic or something. <laughs> I feel fine, Chester. Just got a few things to take care of at the bank, that's all. Yes, I know, but the bank's open all day. Well, uh, you know what they always say, Chester. It's the early bird that catches the worm. Yeah. My ma used to tell us that one about being healthy, wealthy, and wise. <laughs> she used to root us out of bed every morning at daylight on account of it. It's a good saying. Yeah. I don't know whatever become of my brothers, but I'm sure not living in a very big house. <laughs> Maybe you ought to come in here more often. <laughs> I got no business with the bank, Mr. Dillon. Well, morning, Mr. Fogg. Morning, Chester. Morning, Mr. Dillon. Morning, Fogg. I'll be over there in a minute as soon as I straighten this stuff out. Good morning, Marshal. Good morning, Mr. Pat. You taking money out, Marshal, or putting it in? <laughs> Neither, Mr. Pat. This is government. <laughs> oh, I see. Who are those men, Marshal? What? I say, who are those men? Uh, I never saw them before. That one in the middle holding the envelope, he seems pretty excited about something. Certainly, sir. What can I do for you? I want a loan of money immediately. Well, we'll do what we can, sir. First of all, how much do you want? Twenty thousand dollars. Twenty thousand. Mr. Pat. Yes? Yeah, excuse me, Martin. Gentlemen, this is our president. Uh, you'll have to talk with him. I heard you say twenty thousand dollars, gentlemen. That's a lot of money. What do you have for collateral? My collateral, sir, is right here in this envelope. You may look at it, but don't reveal it to these other gentlemen. He's playing don't, cards. Don't name them. I'm afraid I don't understand. Well, I've been in a poker game at the Texas Trail all night long. Right now, there's about $40,000 in that pot. There are some good hands out. I've put every cent I have into it already. Now, they've given me just 20 minutes to come up with more money. Well, I certainly wish you luck, sir, but I never You've heard of it. You've seen a... my hand in that envelope. You can lend me the money on that. But surely, sir, you don't expect the bank to enter a gambling game. Now, these gentlemen are also in the game. They came along to see that those cards aren't changed. The other men are watching the table at the Texas Trail. It's all fair and square, I assure you. Well, gentlemen, I... I'll gladly pay you 10% interest. Only got five minutes left, Hook. Uh, come along, gentlemen. We'll step in the back office. Well, now that's about the craziest thing I ever did here. He must have a pretty good hand, Chester. I know, sir, but you don't think Mr. Papp's going to let him have $20,000 on it? It certainly looks that way. Yeah, there we are. I'll take care of this and we'll get out of here. Uh, this is government stuff, Fogg. You know what to do with it. Certainly, Mr. Dillon. Now, let me see. Uh... Marshal. Uh, Marshal, I want you to come with me. What? Uh, these gentlemen, there's a poker game, and I've got the money here. I think you'd better come along just to be safe. You mean you gave him his $20,000, Mr. Uh, yes, yes, of course. Now, come over here, Marshal, I'll tell you. Marshal, that man Hook there has four aces and a ten in his hand. It's a sure thing. Why, the bank stands to make $2,000 on this loan, and it won't take but a few minutes. Well, you run the bank, Mr. Pepper. Are you sure you ought to take a gamble with other people's money this way? I can't lose. There's not a chance in a million. But I want you to protect this money till I get it back here. Well, all right. 
I'll see nobody takes it at the point of a gun, if you think that'll help. Good, good. Now, you, you come along, then. Hook's only got a few minutes to get back in the game. my money, Mr. Shaneways. I'm calling you, sir. You must have a pretty good hand, Hook. All the trouble you've been to. You will see it. What have you got? Five little hearts, all blue. <laughs> I win, sir, four aces. But look at my hearts. They read two, three, four, five, and six. Straight flush. Your aces lose, Hook. Aces. Aces, how could he have a straight flush? Got it dealt right out of the deck, Hook. Right out of the deck. Ah, nice part. Had enough, but he... He won. Mr. Pat. Sir, I, I don't know what to say. $20,000. Just like that, $20,000 is not even my oh, money. Now, Mr. Pat, don't you worry, sir. I only borrowed that money. You'll have it back. You have my word as a Confederate gentleman on that. Hook, please. Hook, I've got to have it back. It's not my money. I have to put it back in the bank. I'll be ruined if people find out you about it. You only this. loaned the money, sir. I lost it. Now, I'll send for it today, sir. I'll wire my agents. They'll have it on the next Santa Fe that leaves St. Louis. No, Hook. No, I don't think that'll happen. My word as a gentleman, sir. But you must be patient shouldn't have done it. I had no right to do it. Chester. Yes, sir? Go tell Doc I want to see him. Yes, Mr. Dillon. All right. Everybody. Now, listen to me. All of you. Now, I don't want a word said about this to anyone. The bank's important to Dodge, and this could ruin it. You understand? We have no reason to spread. All right, then, see to it. Or there'll be trouble for all of you. Well, certainly, Mark. No reason to Mr. Papp, hold up a minute, will you? Mr. Papp? Marshal, I should have listened to you. I'm ruined now. Now, look, Mr. Pappen. Maybe Hook's got money. I don't know. But if not, we'll figure something out. People will give you time. No. No, they won't. As soon as they hear about this, there won't be any bank. They won't trust it anymore. But they have to. It's the only bank there is. What'll Joanne think? My kids. I can't face it, Marshal. I just can't face it. Now, look, you just go back to the bank and tell the cashier to keep his mouth shut about this. You've just got to give it time. Sure, Marshal. I'll go. I'll go. Marshal, uh, Marshal, sir. 
I am sorry for that man, but he has no reason to worry. I'll send for the money at once. Yeah, you do that, Mr. Hook. Send for the money. Uh, gentlemen, what are your names? My name's Shane Ways, Marshal. Now, I'm sorry for that banker, but it's nothing to do with me. I won this money fair, and I'm keeping it. Sure, Mr. Shane Ways, of course you are. Who are you, mister? Warden. And I agree with Shane Ways. Gambling money's fair money. Nobody's arguing that, Mr. Varden. But remember, gentlemen, what I said. Don't talk about this. Oh, well, hey, uh, Matt. Chester said you wanted me. What's happened? Didn't hear any shooting. Everything's all right, Doc. Oh, well, that's it. Oh. <laughs> you look familiar. <laughs> Don't you? I haven't had the pleasure, sir. Oh, well, maybe not. No, I guess not. My mistake. Uh, never mind, Doc. Come on. Yeah. <clears throat> Chester said he'd wait at the office, Matt. Look, Doc, I want you to go over to the bank. Mr. Papp is pretty upset. See what you can do for him, huh? Give him a bromide or something. Uh, sure, Matt. What's wrong with him, anyway? He just lost $20,000 in a poker game. He lost twenty. And he wasn't playing. He lent the money on the strength of what looked like a good hand. That man, Hook, came into the bank for it with the other two. Oh. He brought his cards along and raised the loan that way, huh? What? How did you know? Oh, I, I heard of it once, Matt. It was down in New Orleans. Oh, that was years ago. Well, what happened? Well, the same thing. The fella got the money and he lost it. That's all. You mean it was fixed between him and the others? Oh, <laughs> sure. It was fixed all right. Well, how did they find out? Well, the fellow that borrowed the money got drunk, and he talked, and they put him in jail, but, but the others got away clean. Look, Doc, that gray-haired man you thought you recognized, his name's Hook. Are you sure you never saw him before? Oh, a lot of people look familiar at first glance, man. You know how did you... Look, in New Orleans, you, you didn't know the men who pulled the trick on the bank, did you? Well, people said that they'd come down on the riverboat. I was doctor in a Tennessee Bell then, but... I never met them, not to my knowledge, anyway. You recall hearing their names? Well, that was a long time ago, Matt. Look, Doc, those three back there may have just pulled the same thing now. Hook looked familiar to you. Maybe he remembers you, too. Well, he just said he'd never met Doc, me, Doc, he Matt. could be lying. Well, sure, but I'm, I can't place him. I probably never saw him before. Well, go see what you can do for Pep. He's in pretty bad shape. Well, sure, Matt. <laughs> Gamblers were always drifting in and out of Dodge. Some of them were crooked, and some, it had been said, were honest. Ordinarily, it didn't matter much one way or the other. Most men could take care of themselves. But now the bank was involved, and the citizens of Dodge had their faith in that bank, as well as their money. I gave it a lot of thought the next hour or so, and finally I had an idea that seemed like a start anyway. I explained it to Chester, and Together, we went back to the Texas Trail. Shane Ways and Varden were idly cutting cards. And Hook was at the bar talking to Kitty. <laughs> Hello, Matt. Kitty. Yes, sir. Hi, Miss Kitty. Uh, do you know Mr. Hook? Uh, this is Marshal Dillon. We met earlier, Kitty. Why, yes, indeed. This morning? I must have smelled trouble, Kitty. I got up early. <laughs> You're always smelling trouble, Matt. Yeah. Leave your beer, Hook, and come with me. What for? Just do it. Whatever you say, Marshal. Miss Kitty, I'll be back. Yeah, sure. All 
right, Varden. Shaneways, get up and follow Chester. What? Is this an arrest? Now, what would I be arresting you for, Mr. Shaneways? What? Nothing. You've no reason. That's right. All right, come on, let's go. idea of bringing us in here, Marshal. Oh, good morning, gentlemen. What can I... Oh, hello, Marshal. Chester. Hello, Lum. Lum, these men want their pictures taken. Oh, no, not me. I don't. I've got plenty of pictures. Can you do it right away, Lum? No, certainly can, Marshal. And, gentlemen, you'll be the very first to stand before a new drop. The ancient temples of Greece. It'll lend you dignity and power. What's the idea of this, Marshal? Lum's just going to take your pictures, that's all. Oh, uh, Lum, front and side views both, huh? Oh, certainly, Marshal, certainly. And then, gentlemen, if you leave Dodge, any of you, it'll make it a lot easier for the law to find you and bring you back wherever you go. This is outrageous. I won't stand for it. I... Pardon, wait a minute. I agree the Marshal is being a little high-handed, but after all, he must protect himself in his job. But since we've done nothing wrong, we have nothing to fear. Sure. Hook's right, Wolfgarden. I'll go first. Are you ready, Lum? No, right this way, sir. Chester, you stay here and wait for the pictures. Bring them over when they're finished. Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. Lum's a pretty good photographer, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, these aren't bad. Uh, lock them up in the safe, will you, Chester? All right. You think this will keep them in Dodge, sir? No. Not if they really get scared. They're guilty, all right, aren't they, Mr. Dillon? And I can't prove a thing, Chester, one way or the other. Uh, Matt! Oh, Matt. Bad news. What, Doc? Well, Mrs. Papp sent for me a little while ago. I just come from there. Oh? Matt, he he killed himself. Suicide. Papp? Bonargo. Well, that poor man. How's Mrs. Papp taking it? Not a tear so far, but I suppose she'll break down later. Neighbor woman's there with her. Yeah. Does she know why he did it, Doc? Well, it seems he told her all about it, and then he went out and he shot himself. Yeah, there's no stopping it now. The story will be all over town in no time. Well, what are you going to do now, Matt? I don't know, Doc. I just don't know. We will return with the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, today's opportunity knocks twice for qualified women. For the younger woman, the career of nursing offers opportunity unlimited. Ask how you can enroll as a student nurse at any hospital at the nurse's registry desk. And for the older woman, there are many thousands of openings in practical nursing. Graduate nurses or practical nurses will find expanding career opportunities for years to come. Act immediately. 
serve humanity and provide for your own secure future. Now the second act of Gunsmoke. Buy you a drink, Kitty. Gosh, I'd like it, Matt, but I just said I'd join Hook over at his table. Well, I'd like to talk to him, too. I'll just sit with you for a few minutes. That's fine with me. I don't know about him, though. I don't think he'll object. I, uh, just have time for a smoke, Mr. Hook. I didn't think you'd mind. Why, no, of course not. You're quite welcome, Marshal. May I buy you a drink? No, thank you. Marshal, I want you to know I sent for that money today, just as I promised. Oh? You're a little late. Late? Mr. Papp shot himself. He, d- he did? You mean Mr. Papp, the banker? Yeah. But why, Matt? He would always seem so quiet like. Maybe Mr. Hook will explain it, Kitty. Well, now, Marshal, you can't hold me responsible in any way at all. I didn't say I Matt. could, Hook. But you seem kind of nervous about it. Well, naturally, I'm upset. After all, that man did me a great favor. Yeah, sure, sure. But I don't think the people in Dodge are going to like it much when they find out. Tell me something, Mr. Hook. When were you in New Orleans last? New Orleans? Mm Mm-hmm. Why do you ask that, Marshal? Just curious. Well, sir, I've never been in New Orleans. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it's good enough. For now. Goodbye, Kitty. I'll drop by later. Sure, Matt. And, uh, Mr. Hook, it still goes about not leaving town. I like it here, Marshal. Yeah. Yeah, you should. Maybe I should have arrested Hook and his friends without any evidence and just seized the $20,000 and put it back where it belonged. That might have saved people's faith in the bank, but I figured my job was to give them faith in the law, and I couldn't do it that way. I'd made it plain to Hook what I suspected, and I hoped it'd scare him into making a mistake. And it did. But I didn't learn about it until next morning when I was having breakfast at the Dodge house. Mr. Dillon? What? I've been looking everywhere for you at your room, Delmonico's, the Texas Trail, everywhere. This is the last place I hit. Well, what is it, Chester? Here. Look at here. Just you read that. Marshal, we're taking Doc along. If you follow us, we'll kill him. Where'd you get this, Chester? It was under the door when I opened up this morning. I ran up to Doc's right away, and sure enough, Mr. Dillon, he's gone. Come on. Uh, go check the depot and the stage line, Chester. I'll cover the livery stables. All right, sir. That'll take me longer, so you get our horses ready. I'll meet you at the office, huh? Yes, sir. Well, it's the marshal. You're out early today. Not early enough, Andy. Yeah? What can I do for you? I want to know if you rented out any horses last night. Well, sure, a few. Why? Did you rent four to anybody, four in a bunch? Why, yes, I sure did. Be back today, so they said. Who said? Well, strangers to me. Paid me in advance, though. <laughs> the greenhorn. What time was this, Andy? 
Oh, uh, it was late. Yeah, it was way after midnight it was. Something wrong? Yeah. Tell me, Andy, what they look like. Well, one was a, was an old fellow, gray hair. Didn't give me his name, though. I don't think I got much of a look at the other one. You have any idea which trail they took out of town? Well, no, I don't. Uh, one of them said something about St. Louis. Uh, but that's not much help, is it? That might be. Oh, thanks, Andy. Oh, one thing, Marshal. Yeah. If you're riding after them, those horses, they got to just crowbaits. I didn't figure they could handle anything better. There was nothing to do but take a chance and ride east. Luck was with us, though, and within an hour we cut their trail. Four horses leave a pretty fair track, and we followed it riding hard. By dusk, we could tell by their sign that we'd nearly caught up with them. Soon after dark, we spotted their fire. These were gentlemen, maybe, but they were mighty poor hands on the prairie. We left our horses and went ahead on foot. We gonna shoot it out with them, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, we can't chance it, Chester. They'd kill Doc. Yeah. Now, hold up a minute. Now, that's their horses just ahead. <laughs> they sure staked them a good piece from camp. Yeah. Lie down, Chester. What do we do, Mr. Dillon? I just wait. Those men are mighty green at this game. I think we can steal their horses without any trouble at all. Just leave my foot, huh? Yeah. Now, look, Chester, when we get those horses, I want you to pick up ours and take the whole bunch out of sight. I'm going to crawl under that tall grass just to the left of the fire there and hide until morning. Mr. Dillon, why can't I go with you? Every time we get in trouble, you always send me off alone somewhere. You always do everything alone. Do as I tell you, Chester. Yes, sir. You just wait till you hear gunfire. And then ride in fast and bring all the horses. All right. Good luck. By dawn next morning, I was half burrowed into the ground and covered by blue stem grass. Not more than 30 feet from their camp. I could hear their talk all right, but I couldn't see them unless they were on their feet. Shaneways had already gone out after the horses. Pretty soon he was back. Look their ropes. That's what every last one of them. What do we do now? You and Shaneways go after them. I'll stay here in God dock. Now hurry up. We've got to get moving. Come on, Bardner. We'll never find them. I ain't coming. I don't know why you can have this country, Doc. I don't know why you ever left that soft berth you had on the Tennessee Bell. Well, I didn't have to leave it. <laughs> That's more than you can say about New Orleans. More talk like that, you get your throat slashed like a fat shoat, Doc. Oh, spoken like a true gentleman, Hook. Or whatever your name is. You know, if you hadn't talked so much in the first place, you wouldn't be where you are now. Oh, you're a fool, Hook. I might have seen you somewhere, but I sure couldn't connect you with that New Orleans business. <laughs> anyway, you're giving yourself away now. Yes, Hal. Don't you know there wasn't a thing the law could do until you ran? Oh, you'll be caught now for sure, yeah. Oh, I doubt it. Why don't you untie my hands? I can't eat this way. You'll manage. I let Hook and Doc wrangle on till I figured the other two men had walked about a half a mile from camp. Then I waited till Hook had his back to me, and I stood up slowly and moved quietly forward. 
Doc saw me and almost spoiled the game, but he caught himself in time and then started another argument with Hook. I was about 15 feet away when Doc suddenly kicked the coffee pot off the fire and all over Hook's legs. And then I moved. Get him again, Matt. He can stand it. No, no. No, that's enough. All right, get up, Hook. Oh, Marshal, easy now. Don't, don't shoot. Get Doc untied and be quick about yeah, it. Yes, get me untied and be quick about it. Yeah. Oh, oh, that feels better. Oh, Hook. If I weren't a professional man, I'd punch you right in the eye. Never mind, Doc. Here, put his gun in your belt. Yeah, I'm just mad enough. I'd like to have an excuse to use this. Uh, Matt, what are you doing? You'll see. Uh, Matt! What? You'll have them back here in no time. I got a surprise for Hook, but he's not going to like it much. Huh? Oh, Where uh, they got the money, Doc? He in that saddlebag, right over there. The All right, get it, will you, quick. Hurry up. Them two didn't get very far away. All right, Doc, if you got the money, get up on the horse. You too, Hook. Come on, quick now. Come on. Yonder they come. You see him, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, I see him. They're shooting at us. Fix that. All right, hold it, Chester. They can't hit us from there. Come on, let's ride. <laughs> you just gonna ride off and leave them, Matt? Well, we got you, Doc, and we got Hook, and we got the money. Oh, but they'll, they'll die out here, Marshal. Because none of us know how to live on this prairie. Well, maybe they'll learn. It's a good way. You're murdering those men. Oh, they'll be all right for a few days, Hook. You'll all meet in prison. All right, ease up. Oh, we've left. Oh, well, what do you plan to do about this? They're full of fight right now, that's all. I don't want to have to kill them to take them. But in a few days, they'll be so hungry and scared, we can walk right up to them. Nobody will get hurt that way. Neither them or us. Mr. Dillon? Yeah, what is it, Chester? Mr. Dillon, later, in a couple of days, let me come back and bring them in. What? Just me, this time, alone... Well, now, Chester, I... Please, uh... Mr. Dillon. Okay, Chester. You can do it. Alone. Thank you, sir. All right, Hook. Ride a little faster there. We ain't got all day. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was especially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin, Harry Bartell, Ralph Moody, James Nusser, Joe Cranston, Paul Dubov, and Peter Leeds. Parley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. This Monday night on the Lux Radio Theater, June Allison recreates her original screen role and appears as the girl in white. Don't miss the Lux Radio Theater this Monday night on most of these same CBS radio stations. George Walsh speaking. America now wakes up to three million clock radios and listens most to the CBS radio network.
Into Shadows Fire, the second book in the world of Strangers and Pilgrims. A fast-paced story of the continuing battle between light against dark and learning about the past will help fight against the shadows of the future. Over a decade has passed since the FTL ship has returned and John Vega and Nicolay Dan have once again joined the effort known now as the Union of Light to fight the newly formed Paganic Imperium. On the world of Sulia, help is needed. The Union must help save the people of the city of Galgani from being tortured and killed because of their beliefs. They must flee their city and begin an exodus across the stars. But the Empire will not let them go that easily, for they are the chosen people of the Lord of Light. But first, they must find a fleet of their own. Thermani Electric escaped with the Bathshi from the Shadow World and is now the Emperor of the Imperium. The only person he trusts, Sashiana makes her way back with the others only to question her own soul. As he remembers his own past and hearing of Sashiana's return, he is encouraged that now he can take his place in the galaxy. Look for Into Shadows Fire, pick it up at your favorite online bookstore. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Abdul. Abdul? You don't know me. So? I have the little business. Well, I'm so happy for you. I hope it's doing well. <laughs> Not bad. Okay, you what... You don't know me, but you're looking for me. Now look, Joe, Abdul... Uh, it, it is a business to uh, get jobs for people, for servants. Oh, the employment agent. Ah. Have you got the address of that girl who worked for the Countess Datalia? Oh, you're very lucky. She's very pretty. You've got the wrong idea, Abdul. I just want to talk to her. <laughs> sure. Where does she live? For twenty dollars, I will remember. I'll give you ten. No, she's worth more. Look, knock it off. I gotta find her and talk to her fast while I'm still alive. And while she is. <laughs> Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Algiers, North Africa, to the Home Office Transworld Fidelity Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Lorco Diamonds Matter. $100,000 worth missing. Expense account continued. <laughs> Item 9, $15 even. Gratuity, tip, gift, bonus. Ah, oh, why kid about it? It was a bribe. To a man named Abdul for the address of a girl named Chada. An address up in the native quarter, the Casbah. But the idea wasn't romance, no matter what Abdul thought. Four hours earlier in the Countess Datalia's apartment, somebody had turned on the gas and tried to kill one or both of us. It was nine to one that the somebody was Chata the servant. I wanted to ask her why. I put my coat on and was just on the point of leaving my hotel. I slipped a gun into my side pocket and moved over to the door. Yeah, who is it? Charlie Barrett. The guy you beat the daylights out of a couple hours ago, you know what I mean? No hard feelings, Sal. I just want to talk it over. All right, Barrett. What's on your mind? You object if I come inside? It's kind of personal, you know what I mean? Probably. All right, come on in. Much obliged. Hey, I didn't know who you were, but when we when we got in that little fracas, that their cop told me about it afterward. Man, you really got a wallop on you. You make a fella know he's at it, you know what I mean? Is that why you're here, a post-mortem on the fight? No, 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 it's done and over. 
You whip me, fair and square, as far as I'm concerned. Hey, by Barrett, this... if you've got anything to say, let's have it fast. I'm in a hurry to get out of here. Oh, well, I sure don't want to take up no more of your time than necessary. I know how it is. Of course, I'm on vacation now, but back in Chicago, I'm in a meat business. Look, Barrett, would you uh, please... At least in a way I am. I'm in uh, byproducts, actually. You know what they say? Use everything but the squeal. Well, I'm the fellow that cans a squeal, you get it? No, oh, brother. What I come here for was maybe to get it straightened out about that dame. Do you mean the Countess Dantelier? Countess, Countess, them titles are a dime a dozen. I can buy them, sell them like sausages. Well, what about her? Now, look, neighbor, I was figuring to come here and put it to you man to man. You know what I mean? I know what I'm beginning to think you mean. I figure when you've seen my position, you'd want to do the square thing. Like anybody on the right side of the fence would. You with me, neighbor? You better drop that neighbor business. I've moved. Well, Dollar, the thing stacks up like this. Now, I already had my claim staked there before you even got in town. I got a lot of money invested in that dame. Barrett, so help I've me. been taking her around places, you know, feeding her, buying her, one thing or another. Why, I was even going to kick through for a 20 grand chunk of ice for her. Well, she and I had that fight last week. You what? That dame's got highfalutin what ideas. What fight? What are you talking about? Well, I just put it to her, cold turkey. I told her she had to quit Jenny flipping around with all those other fellas. Well, I just wasn't going to have nothing more to do with her. Well, that made her mad, you understand? She lit into me. Man, you ought to hear that damn talk when she's mad. You, you think hey, look, she... when was this fight? Was it before the diamonds were sent here? Well, sure. Sure, I said if that's the way she was going to act, she could forget about them diamonds. Well, I ain't seen a sense of talk to her, but I just can't... I just can't seem to get her off my mind. Now, look, Dolly, you was in her apartment there for two hours and 40 minutes tonight, and I don't like it. It bothers me. Strictly business, Barrett. And I got to get going. Now, wait a minute. You... Wait a minute, Dolly. Wait a minute. We, we still got something to settle here. Like I told you, I, I got... Oh, my... Barrett, get out. Hey, you better hold your horses. I don't know if you know the, the name, C.K. Barrett, if that means anything to you. But I got influence back there in the United States. So it's the hard way, huh? Look, you just work for that company of yours. You're nothing but an employee. And if you think you can talk to me like you can to somebody's finest, then here now. Still a sucker for a left. Hello, room service. This is Johnny Dolly. Some drunk just wandered in here and passed out. Would you send up a couple of boys to drag it out in the hall? Expense account item 10, $5.30. A tip to the bellboys and taxi fare to the Casbah. The taxi dropped me off at the end of the causeway, and from there on I walked. It was late, well after midnight. But the narrow, crooked alleys were teeming with life. Some of it out in the open, some of it undercover. Small groups of people met together here and there along the cobbled streets. Men of two dozen tongues and dialects. And women, too, slipped silently in and out of the dark doorways, crouched over tables in the dim-lit cafes and coffee houses. Groups usually fell silent when I passed and stared with hostile curiosity. The Casbah, backwash of North Africa. Little known, seldom bothered, and scarcely policed. And for an outsider, especially at night, more dangerous than dynamite. The address Abdul had given me turned out to be a coffee house, but it could still be legitimate. And there was only one way to find out. What do you want? I want to see Chata. What for? Private reasons. Chata's not here. Where can I find him? 
Take a seat. Table in the corner. Maybe she come. I took the seat, ordered coffee, and waited. A wrinkled old Arab squatted on a rug in the middle of the room and played strange, weird melodies. Gradually, the other patrons went back to their conversations, ignoring me completely. In fact, pointedly. Twenty minutes passed. The girl didn't show. You will, of course, not object, monsieur, if I take the liberty of joining you. No, sit down. Merci. So, you wish to see Chat? Yeah, that's right. Do you know her? Oui, I know her very well. Know where to find her? But naturally, monsieur. I always know where to find her. She's my woman. Ah, so you're the man they call Bobo. Oui, monsieur. The man who poisoned the diamond courier. Oh. Monsieur, it is true that I gave him some wine, a little, not much, but I think perhaps it was a bad vintage. Yes, most unfortunate. It was for him. Well, perhaps it was for the best. Life is so uncertain. But I do not wish to think of such unpleasantness. Instead, uh, let us talk about diamonds. Let's talk about killing, or attempted killing. Is Chanda the one who turned on the gas in the Countess's apartment? It is possible that she did that. On whose orders? It was nothing personal, monsieur. I didn't even know that you were going to be there. I see. Then you really meant to... Diamonds, monsieur. That's enough of this foolish talk of killing. All right. All right, what about the diamonds? You were sent here by the company that has insured them. Is that not correct? Yeah, that's right. And this company would like very much to recover this diamond? That's why I'm here. Yeah. Now, I'm told that this company sometimes give large rewards, agree to an arrangement of a sort. Make a deal, you mean, with no questions asked. Yes, exactly. Now, is this thing true, monsieur? Is it possible that you would... Do you have the diamonds, Bobo? Well, let us say that I'm able to direct you to their location. You could almost call that a confession. What does it matter, so long as we are in the Casper? Oh, yeah, sure. I imagine you have been spotted all over the place. At least 30, right in this room. I am in no danger here, monsieur. Tell me something. You didn't pull off this job by yourself. Who else was in on it? I only wish to talk about the diamonds. Well, can we come to an arrangement? Bobo, I don't make deals with murderers. It is better that you do not use such words, monsieur. It's true, though, isn't it? That is not the question. It is only that I resent the insulting way Bobo! in which you... Bobo, stand up! Why, why are you coming in? Bobo! Oui, oui, oui. Did you arrange for the police to come here, monsieur? I'm as surprised as you are, Bobo. Ah, consider this matter of the deal. We will talk more at some other time, eh? The patrons rushed for the doors, and in one minute flat, the coffee house was empty. Even the owner was gone. I was the only one left. Three minutes later, the inspector with a flying squad of 20 men came bursting in from the street. Well, Monsieur Deller, I'm happy to find you are still alive. Why don't you get lost somewhere? For you, I think it most fortunate that we arrive in time. Oh, sure, in time to follow up the only lead I had in this case. To lose a suspect is better than to lose one's life, Monsieur. Look, Inspector, I was holding a gun in my pocket, covering Bobo from the second he sat down at the table. But, Monsieur, I... three men or not... If it had come to a showdown, he couldn't have done a thing. Because he'd have been the first one to get it, and he's smart enough to have known that. But I thought Let's that... face it, Inspector, you've done it again. You goofed. But I was only thinking that perhaps... Oh, dear, what is to happen next? 
The shooting was somewhere outside, but it hadn't been the police. All of the inspector's men were inside the coffee house. He gave them orders quickly, and they fanned out to search the area. The streets were empty now, dark and silent, not a soul in sight. We split up into pairs. I worked with Inspector Marcus for a while and left him and searched alone along a narrow side passage. And that's where I found him. He'd been shot three times in the back, and he was dying. Monsieur Dada. Yeah, Bobo. You, you can't forget that deal, I think. Yeah. It's a little too late for deals now. Who was in on it with you, Bobo? Look, you've got nothing to lose by talking. You know that, don't you? Except my honor, monsieur. As a citizen of the Cosmo. Who shot you? A dragon, monsieur. Twelve feet tall with fiery eyes. All right, Bobo, all right. But just tell me this. Just one thing. Are you the man who attacked the property agent at the airport? The man who slugged Andre Jourdain? Oui, monsieur. I do it very good. No. Almost I kill him. He's too bad. I did. I... A minute or two later, Inspector Marcus came up, and we stood there looking down at the dead man lying on the stones of the alley. He was a short man, stockily built with wide shoulders and a deep chest. It was the body of a man of action, of accomplishment. But he'd chosen to be a smuggler, dope peddler, thief, and killer. And now he had become the victim of another killer. Did he say anything, monsieur? Was he able to talk? Yeah, enough. Eh? What is it to mean, monsieur? Do you know who is guilty of this? Yeah, that's right, Inspector. I know the whole story now. The whole filthy, rotten story. There'll be the final intriguing episode in our story of the Lorco Diamonds matter tomorrow. Tomorrow night, the odds are set. The last chip is down. It's the last spin of the wheel. And death is the croupier. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Les Crutchfield, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking.
presenting the amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon. Last week, Flash Gordon, at Queen Azura's suggestion, turned the combustion ray guns on the advance guard of the attacking Hawkmen and brought them to the ground in flames. Ordering his men to retreat, Dr. Zarkov led the way to a nearby tunnel where he shut out the flames with a wall of chemical ice. Back at the palace with Dale and Khan, Mar, the spy, decided on his daring attempt to find Dr. Zarkov and deliver his report, while Flash and his officers were reconnoitering outside the entrance to the tunnel in which Zarkov and his Hawkmen are barricaded. Paul tried to persuade Queen Azura that Flash was not capable enough to be commander-in-chief. At that moment, Flash rode up, and Paul urged Azura to listen to what he proposed and then choose which man was better qualified to head the army. Without hesitation, Flash declared that the only thing to do was charge and gave the order himself. These thrilling adventures come to you as they are pictured each Sunday in the big full-page Comic Weekly, the world's greatest pictorial supplement of humor and adventure. The full-page Comic Weekly each page printed in full colors, is distributed everywhere as an integral part of your first Sunday newspaper. We now continue the story. With shouts and confusion, the Blue Magic Army charges to attack the barricaded Hawkmen. Suddenly, Paul, furious at being displaced as general by Flash, draws a bead on his back and pulls the trigger. Flash! Flash's horse stumbles and pitches forward dead. Flash is hurled to the ground. Halt! Stop charging! Azura gives the order to stop the charge and makes her way to Flash's side. Flash, my prince, are you hurt? Oh, speak to me, my glorious one. Flash, here, here, take his helmet, someone. Open your eyes, my beloved prince. Where am I? Dale. Quick, you. Give him some stimulant from the flask. That's it. Uh, hi. Azura. My beautiful one. What happened? Uh, you're all right. But no thanks to Tarl here. Your Majesty. What? You what? shot at Flash's back. Oh, no, no. I saw you. It's lucky your hand wasn't steady. But for making an attempt on Flash's life, you shall die. By my sword. No, no, Your Majesty. I beg of you. Wait. Don't kill him, Azura. He deserves to die. His was an act of greatest treachery. No, no. It was an accident. I swear it, Queen Azura. It was an accident. Let him go, Azura. I'll take his word for it. It's growing dark and we can't afford a moment's delay. Very well. Call, get behind the lines and thank your prince's generosity that you live. Uh, thank you, sire. Uh, thank you, gracious queen. And now for a fresh mount. My horse is dead. Take my horse, Flash. Very well. Wait. It's growing darker with each second. It will be better to camp here for the night and attack at daylight. But the hawkmen may escape during the night, Azura. Not if we keep the combustion ray guns trained on them. True, Azura. Hawkmen, lay siege to the tunnel with the combustion ray guns. Start the barrage of combustion rays as soon as the rain can be found. And tomorrow morning, my queen, but come, I will tell you of my plan. I hope they aren't all military ones, my queen. That night, back in Azura's palace, the chief cook closes the kitchen until the morning shift will come on, and Dale and Khan march out with the other slaves. I'm worried, Khan. Nothing to worry about, Princess. Mar is taking an awful risk. 
He'll never be able to find his way through the enemy lines to Dr. Zarkov. Leave it to Mar. He was clever enough to get himself into the palace. He'll get back to Zarkov somehow. Halt! Slaves, to your quarters! Hans? Yes? Do you really think Mar will get to Zarkov in time to warn him? Of course. I heard one of the guards say their army had the Hawkman bottled up in a tunnel someplace. If that is so, Princess Zarkov can't be very far from here. It ought to be easy for Mar to see the lights of the campfires and so make his way straight to the lines. Oh, I hope he gets there in time. So do I. Zarkov may not know why Flash is at the head of the Blue Magic Men. He may think he's a traitor and shoot him down on sight. True, Princess. But on the other hand, Flash, not recognizing Zarkov as his friend, may kill him. Oh, no, Khan. Mar must get through those lines. If he doesn't, something terrible would happen. I know it. Don't worry, Princess. I know Mar to be a fine officer and a brave soldier. He'll get words with his Arkoff or die in the attempt. Oh, don't say that, Tom. It makes you grow cold all over. I'm sorry, Princess. I only wish to convey to you how hard Mar will try to carry out his mission. If Mar gets to Zarkov and tells him about Flash, the great scientist may be able to get him out of the wicked queen's power. That's what I'm hoping, Princess. I'm only a rough soldier. I know nothing of drugs and chemicals. We need Zarkov and his great knowledge. I'm sure he could help us. Tom. Yes? It's odd how long the effect of that drug has lasted on Flash. Don't you think so? Yes, I do. At first, I thought it might be put in his food. But I watched every morsel of that prepared. It's taken from the same pans and kettles as the jewelry. And nothing happens to it in the kitchen. Perhaps the jewelry gives it to him. Most likely. Well, she has a splendid opportunity to renew the drug now, out on the field of battle. If she needs to renew it. Why, what do you mean, Princess? Tom, sometimes I wonder if Flash is under the spell of the Queen's magic drug... Or under the spell of the queen herself. She is a beautiful and attractive woman. You mean that Flash is pretending he doesn't know us? That his mind is perfectly clear? Yes. Oh, no, Princess. Flash Gordon is not capable of such deceit. I hope you're right, Tom. I've tried and tried to believe my thoughts are just my own imagination. That Flash really and truly was under some strange drug. But the effect has been so lasting. I'm beginning to doubt he's in love with me. You must never think that, Princess. I don't blame you for having such thoughts. This whole thing must be terribly hard on you. You've been brave and loyal so far. You must not weaken now. Promise me you won't weaken, Princess. Thank you for your encouragement, Tom. I have been foolish to doubt Flash. I won't doubt any more. I promise. Good. Look, here comes Mara. You must be ready to start. I've come to say goodbye, friends. You're leaving now? Yes, for the seventh gate. Will you see that the coast is clear while I slip out? Certainly. Then let us hurry. A soldier just came in from the battlefront. He says that Blue Magic Army has besieged the Hawkman in the tunnel, ten miles from here. What did I tell you, Khan? That guard was right. They had Dr. Zarkov bottled up. The Queen's army is in camp for the night and will attack in the daylight. I must get through and warn Zarkov. Don't forget to explain to them about Flash. No, I won't, Princess. Take off the guard. Get back into the shadows, Mar. Who's there? We're getting a breath of air before going to our quarters. Very well. Don't delay too long. Goodness, you were with me. Well, from here on, I'm on my own. Goodbye, Princess. Goodbye, Ma, and good luck. Thank you. Success to you, Comrade Ma. Now, be of good cheer, both of you. Zarkov shall soon be here. Goodbye. Good luck. Oh, who goes there? The stranger. Where are you going? To join Tal. He ordered me to join him as soon as I rested. Then why are you sneaking out the back way? Why don't you leave by the main gate? I'm not sneaking. Besides, this gate will save me many steps. You're not going out this way, stranger. Go back into the courtyard. You will regret this act, guard, when Tall hears of it. That may be so, but I'll chance it. 
My orders are to allow no one to leave by this gate. Is that so? Drop that sword. Make me drop it. There. Oh, yes, as the dawn breaks in the east, the blue magic army rouses from its camp and prepares to attack the Hawkmen. Rhoda! Rhoda! Yes, my prince? Sun is rising. We must start the attack. I am ready, my prince. Good. I'll give the orders to charge. Wait. Let us drink a toast before we enter battle. Here, my prince, to victory. To victory and you. Fittily said, my prince. And now, let us charge the enemy and capture them. <laughs> my impetuous hero. You would think you were out hunting. Flash, you are attacking a fierce and warlike army, the dreaded horsemen. I've never heard of them. They mean nothing to me. You are sure of that? Certainly. Why do you ask? I wondered. That devil Tarl. He's been saying things against me. He told you that because I'm a stranger in your land, I'm not to be trusted. Well, he has intimated that, I admit. He's a jealous fool. I know he's angry because you appointed me instead of him. But I didn't think you'd lose faith in me, Azora. Lose faith in you? I see it now. You had me delay until morning so that you might decide whether to trust me to lead the charge. And even now, you can't make up your mind. Very well. I'll make it easier for you. What? What are you going to do? Azora, I hand you my sword and my resignation as commander-in-chief of your army. There. Flash, wait. Well? Oh, my impulsive prince, you misunderstand. It wasn't because I have lost faith in you that I asked that question. Another reason prompted me. Ah, but never mind that. To show you my faith in you is not shaken, here is your sword again. You are still my commander-in-chief. Azura, you humble me. I deeply appreciate your confidence. Forgive my action of a moment ago. I accept my command again. And I'll fight twice as hard in your behalf. I'm sure you will, Flash. And now, my queen, to prove my words with action. I'll give those orders to charge. Wait. I have something for you. What? Slave, bring it here. What is that? A torpedo. When you get close enough to the Hawkmen, throw it into their midst. But I thought you didn't want to kill them. The torpedo does not kill. But when it explodes, its fumes will turn the Hawkmen into icy statues. Wonderful. Ah, my beautiful queen... How can anyone hope to fight against you? I go to conquer in your name. Home in for the attack. Follow me. Inside the tunnel, Zarkov and his men wonder at the sudden stopping of the combustion ray bombardment, which has been going on all night. The bombardment has stopped. That is very strange. Well, perhaps Azura has given up, Prince Zarkov. No, more likely it means an attack. Look, Commander, someone is running up to the entrance alone. What is this? Some kind of trick? It may be. Look, there comes the enemy. They are shooting at our visitor. Yes. See the little clouds of dust rising from the ground behind him. Commander... It's Captain Mars. Mars! Quickly, cut the hole in the ice. Get him inside. Yes. Yes. Hurry, men, hurry. He will be killed if you do not get him inside. Ah, that's it. The hole is big enough to talk through now. 
Mars. The enemy. Hurry, men. Get that ice broken through. What have you to report, Mars? The enemy are right behind me. I had hoped to get in here in time to, to warn you. I Pull him inside, men. Commander. Commander Flash Gordon is... Uh, he's hit. Pull him inside. Flash Gordon is what? Mar! Mar! Speak, man! Mar! They've killed him, Commander. Mar is dead. Yes. Just as he was going to reveal something about Flash. Poor fellow. Faithful to the end. Here comes Flash Gordon now. Riding ahead of the Blue Magic Army. Ahead of the enemy? Yes. Can he have deserted? Are they after him, too? Stand aside. Let me be the first to welcome Flash to our ranks. Flash, Gordon! Flash, my friend! Look out, Commander. He's throwing a bomb! What will happen to Dr. Zarkov and the gallant Hawkmen when the freezing fumes of the bomb turn them into living icicles? Follow these thrilling adventures in full-color action pictures next Sunday in the Comic Weekly, which is an integral part of your Hurt Sunday newspaper. The Comic Weekly, as you know, is now printed in full-page size, not tabloid. No change in the features, but bigger and better pictures and more easily read captions. All your favorites will be there. Bringing up Father, Skippy, Trips and Casper, The Little King, Barney Google, The Cats and Yammer Kids, and many, many others. What a treat is in store for you next Sunday in the big, full-page, full-color Comic Weekly. So be sure you get the Comic Weekly next Sunday with your Hearst Sunday newspaper and enjoy a half hour's good, clean fun with the foremost merrymakers in the world of pictures. And don't forget to tune in next week at the same time and learn what happened to Dr. Zarkov and the gallant Hawkmen in the next chapter of the amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon. Christian sci-fi with adventure, drama, and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, Anira's assignment. Anira Henderson was used to dealing with every kind of trauma in her job as an emergency room tech. Then, the disaster that wiped out her family, except for her brother Jarl, landed tragedy squarely on her own lap. In the midst of her grief, she is recruited to join an elite force of universe healers. Fixing radically broken things has always been her life's dream. But, this just took it to a whole new level. Read Quantum Spacewalker, and Nira's assignment by Grace S. Gross. October is Donate to a Senior Living Facility in Your Area, Grandparents or Parents Month. Go to oldtimeradiodvd.com forward slash donate, and I'm providing a 10% discount on all products. Now, I'm doing my part. Consider donating to senior living facilities in your area. I know that the people who reside there would love to hear these great shows once again. oldtimeradiodvd.com forward slash 
donate. Welcome to the Old Time Radio Network Drama, experiencing the plays, great performances, and compelling stories each week from the archives of great productions of Hollywood's best producers and actors. We now go back to the early days of radio and our imaginations with our featured drama presentation. golden days of youth. No author has ever painted a finer picture of childhood fun and adventure than Samuel Clemens in The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. The NBC University of the Air brings you the first installment of a two-part radio edition of Tom Sawyer, another in its series of books that live. American Novel. Summer is coming to St. Petersburg by the big Mississippi. And all the summer world is bright and fresh and brimming with light. There's a song in every heart. And if the heart is young, the music issues from the lips. The locust trees are in bloom. And the fragrance of the blossoms fills the air. The most important thing a kid can do in St. Petersburg now is to wait for the big Missouri to paddle wheel up the river or maybe to play hooky from school on a hot afternoon. For summer is kids' time in St. Petersburg, and this is a kid's story. Yes, kids' time in St. Petersburg. Usually they're everywhere, screaming and yelling and playing and crying. But just at this moment, every one of them is missing, especially... Tom! Tom! What's gone with that boy, I wonder? You! Tom! There's my broom. Oh, here. Now, you're most too big to hide under the bed, young man. I lay if I get hold of you, I... Oh, here you are. Oh, yeah. I might have thought of this closet. What you been doing in there? Nothing. Nothing. Look at your hands. And look at your mouth. It's jam. That's what it is. Forty times I said if you didn't let that jam alone, I'd skin you. Hand me that switch. Yes, ma'am. My, look behind you, Anne. <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> oh, hang the boy. Can't I never learn? Ain't he played enough tricks like that for me to be looking out for him by this time? <laughs> but my goodness, never plays them alike two days. He appears to know just how long he can torment me before I get my dander up. Oh, ain't doing my duty by that boy, unless the Lord's truth goodness knows. But laws of me, he's my own dead sister's boy, poor thing. I ain't got the heart to lash him somehow. Well, well, I'll just be a bleach to make him work tomorrow. It's mighty hard for him to work Saturdays when all the boys is having holiday. But it's for the good of his soul. Oh, Saturday morning. It ain't right to have to work Saturday morning, is it, Jim? Oh, Mrs. She make me work every day, Mars Tom. You gotta go and get old Mrs. a bucket of water. She tied her head off of me. Look at that fence, Jim. 
30 yards long and as high as I can reach from on top of that barrel. It'll take me all day, nearly. All day Saturday, whitewashing. Well, that's too bad, Mars Tom, but I'd better hurry. Oh, Missy said I was not to be wasting my time getting this here bucket full of water. Say, Jim, I'll fetch the water if you'll whitewash some. Oh, I can't, Mars Tom. Oh, Missy, she told me I got to go and get this water and not stop fooling around with anybody. She said she spent Mars time going to ask me to whitewash. She told me to go along and tell my own business. Well, that's the way she always talks. Give me the bucket. I won't be gone only a minute. Oh, I ask not Mars Tom. Oh, Mrs. said she'd take and tie the life out of me. Did she would. Oh, she never licks anybody. Whack them over the head with her thimble. But who cares about that, I'd like to know. Hey, Jim, I'll give you a marble. I'll give you a white alley. Well, now, Mars, Tom. White alley, Jim. My, that's a mighty gay marble. But I was powerful afraid old And Mrs. besides, if you will, I'll show you my sore toe. Well, right. Let me see. Oh, load of I'll show you something sore beside a sore toe. I don't want to have to watch you anymore, Thomas Sawyer. Yes, yes, sir. Hi, Tom. Oh, hi, Ben. Uh, nice day for whitewashing fences, ain't it, Tom? Oh, it'll do. Say, I'm going in a swimming, I am. That's all? Don't you wish you could? But, of course, you'd rather work, wouldn't you? What do you call work? Oh, ain't that work? Well, maybe it is and maybe it ain't. All I know is it suits Tom Sawyer. Oh, come now. You don't mean to let on that you like it. Like it? Well, I don't see why I oughtn't to like it. Now, does the boy get a chance to whitewash a fence every day? Yes, sir, it sure suits Tom Sawyer. Say, uh, Tom... Say, Tom, let me whitewash a little. Well, no, no, I reckon it wouldn't hardly do, Ben. Oh, Tom. You see, Aunt Polly's awful particular about this fence. Right here on the street, you know. But, Tom. Yeah, she's awful particular about this fence. It's got to be done very careful. Well, I reckon there ain't one boy in a thousand, maybe two thousand, that can do it the way it's got to be done. No, is that so? Oh, come on. Let me just try. Only just a little. I'd let you if you was me, Tom. Ben, I'd like to. Honest, Injun. But Aunt Polly, she would... Well, Jim wanted to do it, but she wouldn't let him. Now, don't you see how I'm fixed? If you was to tackle this mess and anything was to happen to us... Oh, shucks, I'd be just as careful. Just let me try. Say, I'll give you the car my apple... Well, here. No, no, Ben, now don't. I'm afraid... I, I'll give you all of my apple. All right. Here's the brush, Ben. Now, be careful, Ben. Oh, don't... I will, Tom. How do you hold it? Like this. Oh, all right. I see. It's pretty fair to Midland Kite String, Billy. You can be after Ben. Give him my tadpole, Tom. Let me be next, Tom. I got a swell brass door now. A fly in a bottle, Tom. How about my juice heart? A tin soldier. A piece of chalk. A nice old dog collar. Come on, Tom. Give us a turn.
Tom. Tom. Huh? Oh, hi, Huck. Where you been? Oh, you know how Aunt Polly is. Now, don't you go playing with that Huckleberry Finn or I'll... You know how she talks. Where'd you get that dead cat? I traded him from Joe Harper for two tadpoles, a brass doorknob, and a kite string. My, he's pretty stiff. You know what dead cats is good for, Tom? Sure, anybody knows what dead cats is good for. What are they good for? Cure warts with, of course. Best thing in the world for curing warts. Is that so? I know something that's better. I'll bet you don't. What is it? What's spunk water? Spunk water? I wouldn't give a darn for spunk water. You wouldn't, would you? Did you ever try it? No, I ain't. But Bob Tanner did. Oh, he'll lie, Bob Tanner will. Now you tell me how Bob Tanner did it, Huck. I took and dipped his hand in a rotten stump with his rainwater. In the daytime? Certainly. With his face to the stump? Sure. At least I reckon so. Did he say anything? Well, I don't reckon he did. I don't know. <laughs> Talk about trying to cure warts with spunk water such a blame fool way as that. Why, that ain't going to do any good. You got to go all by yourself to the middle of the woods where you know there's a spunk water stump. And just as it's midnight, you back up against the stump and jam your hand in and say... Barley corn, barley corn, engine meal short. Spunk water, spunk water, swallow them warts. And you walk away quick, 11 steps, with your eyes shut. And then turn around three times and walk home without speaking to anybody. Because if you speak, the charm's busted. Well, that sounds like a good way. But that ain't half so good as using a dead cat. How do you cure warts with a dirty old dead cat? Why, you take your cat and go and get in the graveyard long about midnight when somebody that was wicked has been buried. And when it's midnight, a devil will come. A what? A devil. Maybe two or three devils. My. But you can't see him. You can only hear something like the wind. Or maybe hear the devil talk. And when they're taking that fella away, you heave your dead cat after him and say, Devil follow corpse, cat follow devil, warts follow cat, I'm done with you. That'll fetch any wart. Sounds right. Hey, Hucky, when are we going to try using the cat? Or tonight. I reckon they'll come after old Hoss Williams tonight. Oh, yeah, Hoss Williams. Oh, but they buried him Saturday. Didn't the devils get him Saturday night? Oh, you do talk, Tom. How could their charms work till midnight? And then it's Sunday. Devils don't slosh around much of a Sunday, I don't reckon. Yeah, I never thought of that. That's all. Let's go tonight. Of course. If you ain't afeard. Afeard? Tain't likely. Will you meow for me? Right below your window, about 11 tonight. And you meow back. Looks like it'll be a kind of dark night, all right. Kind of dark and scary. Sure you want to go, Tom? Yeah, sure, Huckleberry. You meow and I'll come down the rain pipe like always. Graveyards, yeah. Well, the moon's out, so the devils ought to be easy to see tonight. Yeah. Uh, say, Hucky, do you believe the dead people like it for us to be here? Oh, I wish I know. It's awful solemn-like, ain't it? Yeah, I bet it is. Say, Hucky, do you reckon Hoss Williams hears us talking? Of course he does. At least his spirit does. Oh, I wish that dead mister were here. God, he can't be too particular how they talk about these here dead people, Tom. What is it, Tom? There it is again. Didn't you hear it? I didn't hear it. Now you hear it. Oh, Lord, Tom, they're coming. The devil's is coming, sure. What do we do? I don't know. 
You think they'll see you? Oh, Tom, they can see in the dark. Devil's the same as cats. Oh, I wish I hadn't come. Now, Tom, don't be afraid. I don't believe they'll bother. He ain't doing any harm except trying to get rid of some more. If we keep still as nights right behind this big monument, maybe they won't see us at all. Oh, I'll try, Tom, but, Lord, I'm all of a shiver. Oh, Tom, this is awful. It's a devil, sure enough. Three of them. Come for Hoss William. Oh, Lordy, Tom, we're goners. Can you pray? I'll try, but don't you be a bit. They ain't gonna hurt us. Now I lay me down to sleep. What is it, Huck? They're humans. One of them is anyway. One of them's got old Muff Potter's voice. No. Muff Potter's? Ain't so, is it? Oh, I bet I know it. Don't you stir or budge. He ain't sharp enough to notice us. Drunk the same as usual, likely. Blamed old Rip. All right, I'll keep still. Hey, they're pointing right for Hoss William's grave. Say, Huck, I know another one of them voices. It's Injun Joe. Injun Joe. That murder and half-bead. I'd rather they was devils at darn sight. What can they be up to? They started digging Hoss William's grave. Hurry, man. Moon might come out any moment. Take it easy, Dr. Robinson. We'll have your corpse for you. No time. But you must hurry. If anyone saw me here, my practice would be ruined, I tell you. Uh, wouldn't that be too bad? Yeah. They didn't uh, put him very deep in it. Uh, uh, I think we can uh, get the lid off now, Muff. Yeah, well, wait, Joe. Now, the rest of things about ready, Sawbones. You just out with another five apiece, or here she stays. That's a talk. Look here, what does this mean? You asked for your pay in advance, and I paid you. Yeah. You've done more than that, too. Five years ago, you drove me away from your father's kitchen one night when I come to ask you for something to eat. You said I weren't there for any good. Which was the Lord's You talk? shut up and listen. And I swore I'd get even with you if it took a hundred years. Your father had me jailed for a vagrant. Did you think I'd forget Dr. Robinson? Now, look, you... The engine blood ain't in me for nothing. Now I've got you, and you've got to settle, you know. Don't threaten me, you red scoundrel! Hey, hey, you... And there's more like that if you're not satisfied. Here, here, you don't go knocking down my boy! There, drunkard. You ought to stay out for a while. Now, Engine Joe, have you and your stupid friends seen enough of my fist? I've seen too much of you. But have you seen enough of my knife? No! 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 Oh. Mm, Dr. Robinson, that score is settled. Now, just a minute till I... Come on, Mark. Come on. Come on out of it. Come on, come on. Get up and face him up. Face it? How is this, Joe? It's a dirty business. Dr. Robinson. Joe, he's dead. What the... What you do it for, Muff? I, I never... What did I do? Oh, say, now look here. That kind of talk won't wash. You still got knife in your hand. Yeah. Oh, my. I thought I got sober. No business to drink tonight. I'm all in a muddle. Can't recollect anything of it hardly. 
Oh, tell me, Joe. Honest now, old feller. Did I did I do that to the doctor? Well, you said yourself. He's, he's dead, ain't he? Joe, I never meant to. Upon my soul and honor, I never meant to, Joe. Oh, tell me how it was, Joe. Well, you two were scuffling. Then he fetched you one, and you fell flat. Then up you come, all reeling and staggering like, and snatched a knife and jammed it into him. Oh, no. Just as he fetched you another awful cliff. And here you laid, as dead as a wedge until now. Oh, I didn't know what I was doing. I wish I might die this minute if I did. All on account of that whiskey and excitement, I reckon. I never used a weapon in my life before, Joe. They all say that. Joe, don't tell. Say you won't tell, Joe. That's a good fellow. I always liked you, Joe, and I stood up for you, too. Don't you remember? You won't tell, will you, Joe? Mm, no, no, sir. You've always been fair and square with me, my Potter. And I won't go back on you. Now, come on, come on, let's get going. Oh, Joe, you're an angel. I'll bless you for this the longest day that I have. Oh, come on, come on, now. That's enough of that. Come on, the moon's coming out. They're going up? Yeah, I guess. I'm sort of scared to look. Huckleberry, what do you reckon will come of this? Dr. Robinson's dad, I reckon hanging will come of it. Do you, though? Well, I know it, Tom. Who will tell? We? What are you talking about? Suppose something happened and Injun Joe didn't hang. Why, he'd kill us sometime or other, just as dead sure as we're a-laying here. That's just what I was thinking to myself, Huck. Hucky, you sure you can keep Mum? Tom, we gotta keep Mum, you know that. That Injun devil wouldn't make any more drowning us than a couple of cats. Look at here, Tom. Let's take and swear to one another. That's what we gotta do. Swear to keep Mum. Tom agreed. It's the best thing. Would you just hold hands and swear oh, that... Oh, no, that wouldn't do for this. That's good enough for little rubbishy common things. But there ought to be writing about a big thing like this. And blood. Oh, good, Huck. Blood. Here, let's take that old piece of shingle. And I'll write it out quick while the moon's still out. All right. Here's the shingle. What you gonna write with? I got a little piece of red chalk. Oh, that's fine. What's it saying, Tom? Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer... Swears they will keep mum about this. They wish they may drop down dead in their tracks if they ever tell. And rot. That's just fine. Now we'll sign it in real blood and bury it. I got a pin, Tom. Ouch! Mm-hmm. That hurts, Tom. Now what? Now make an H and an F on the shingle with the blood. Like this. There now. Tom, does this keep us from ever telling? Always? Of course it does. It don't make any difference what happens. We gotta keep Mum. Why, we'd drop down dead of our tracks if we ever said anything to anybody about who really killed Dr. Robbins. Bring the tobacco, Hucky? Yeah, sure. Pappy weren't up and around, so he didn't see me slip it out. I got the matches. Must said to be sure and bring him some matches. I feel all creepy when we go to see him at the jail, Tom. Well, it's been near in two months we've been visiting him. Nothing's happened to us. Nobody else ever comes to see him to bring him tobacco and matches. Guess he wanted something special tonight. That's because the trial's most over. They're going to pass the hanging tomorrow, I reckon. Is it, Huck? Is that what they say? You'd know that if you'd stick around the courtroom every day like me. 
Oh, it scares me, that court and all. Injun Joe and there lying about what Muff did. Say, Hucky, have you ever told anybody about... You know what? Of course I haven't. Never a word? Never a solitary word, so help me. Are you a fear, Tom? Why, we wouldn't be alive two days if that got found out. Why ain't you so... Look, here's the jail. Muff! Hey, Muff! Muff! Oh, hello, Huck. Tom, I knew you'd come. You wouldn't fail poor old Muff. Huh? You all right, Muff? I just got back from the courtroom. Guess tomorrow will be about the last day. We... We brought some back and muff like you asked. That's mighty kind, Huckleberry. You've been mighty good to me, boys. Met than anybody else in this town. Now, Muff, we ain't done nothing really. Done just about all a body could ask from a young fella. And old Muff appreciates it, too. They just about all forgot about old Muff when he's in trouble. Tom don't. Huck don't. Well, boys, I've done an awful thing. Drunk and crazy at the time. That's the only way I can count for it. Now i got to swing for it, I reckon. But there's nothing anybody can do for me now. You know that, Tom. Muff, I... Well, I ought to... Now, don't you trouble yourself about Paul Muff Mart, Tom. Ain't nothing you can do that ain't already done. You've done me a heap of good, I tell you. Bringing tobacco and talking with me. Here, now, let me shake your hand. That's it. Yours will come through the bars, but mine's too big. Ah, little hands. Weak. They've helped Muff Potter of power, and they'd help him more if they could. Oh, Muff, don't talk like that. I mean, we ain't done nothing. We better go, Tom. Yeah, I reckon. Bye, Muff. We'll see you tomorrow. I mean... Goodbye, Muff. They'd help them more if they could. Tom, does this keep us from ever telling? Always? There ain't nothing anybody can do for me now, is there, Tom? You know that, Tom. Blood, Tom. That means we dropped dead in our tracks, Tom. And rot. Don't trouble yourself no more about poor old Muff Potter. You can't help him now, Tom. You can't help him. You're a good boy at heart, Tom. A good boy. If only you had the courage always to do what you know is right. You just can't never tell, Tom. It's written blood. Do what you know is right. see me, young man? Yes, sir. I had to see you, Mr. Sanford. I just had to. Well, please hurry. I'm busy with this trial today. Oh, it's the trial I got to see you about. They said you were for Muff Potter in the trial. Muff's lawyer. And you got to listen to me, Mr. Sanford. I couldn't sleep any last night thinking about what I got to tell you. Well, all right, son. Let's hear your story. Counsel for the prosecution completed his case. By the oath of citizens, whose simple word is above suspicion, we have fastened this awful crime beyond all possibility of question 
upon the unhappy prisoner at the bar. We rest our case here. Thank you, counsel. Has the counsel for the defense any further remarks? Your Honor, in our remarks at the opening of this trial, we foreshadowed our purpose to prove that our client did this fearful deed while under the influence of a blind and irresponsible delirium produced by drink. We have changed our mind. We shall not offer that plea. Call Thomas Boyer. Thomas Sawyer, where were you on the 17th of June, uh, about the hour of midnight? I, uh... What's uh, all this? Speak up, lad. In, in the graveyard. A little louder, please. Don't be afraid. You were... In the graveyard. Were you anywhere near Horse William's grave? Yes, sir. Speak up just a trifle louder. How near were you? As near as I am to you, sir. Were you hidden or not? I was hidden. Where? Behind Hezekiah Grant's monument. Hmm? Anyone with you? Yes, sir. I went there. Uh, never mind mentioning your companion's name. We will produce him at the proper time. Did you carry anything there with you? Only a dead cat for wart. <laughs> your Honor, we will produce the skeleton of that cat. Now, my boy, tell us everything that occurred. Tell us in your own way. Don't skip anything and don't be afraid. Will I? No, don't be afraid. This is a court of justice. The man you fear is only a witness seated here where he can do you no harm. What's going on here? Silence in the court. Go ahead with your story, Tom. Well, Huck, I mean my friend and I went out to the graveyard to cat to rid some wards. Cats are better than spunk water, Huck said. And... <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but stay by the story of what happened. Well, we got out there real late, and Moon was sort of going in and out. And we hid by old man Grant's monument, and we heard devil's voices. Uh, whose voices? They weren't really devil's voices, I guess. It was Dr. Rock. It was Dr. Rock. It was Dr. Rock. Couldn't hear him. And we hid Injun Joe. And we hid Injun Joe. And we hid Injun Joe. American Novels. Being the town heroes at the age of 12 is not the complete satisfaction one might expect. Not for Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. The shadow of revenge hangs heavy over the heads of these two young men as the NBC University of the Air brings you the second and final installment of Samuel Clemens' immortal story of golden days on the Mississippi, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, another in its series of books that live, American Novels.
October is donate to a senior living facility in your area. Grandparents or Parents Month. Go to oldtimeradiodvd.com forward slash donate. And I'm providing a 10% discount on all products. Now I'm doing my part. Consider donating to senior living facilities in your area. I know that the people who reside there would love to hear these great shows once again. Oldtimeradiodvd.com forward slash donate. Welcome to the Old Time Radio Network drama, experiencing the plays, great performances, and compelling stories each week from the archives of great productions of Hollywood's best producers and actors. We now go back to the early days of radio and our imaginations with our featured drama presentation. Last week we heard how Tom and Huck, chance witnesses of a cruel midnight murder in the St. Petersburg, Missouri graveyard, saved their old friend Muff Potter from hanging by last-minute evidence incriminating the town's infamous half-breed, Injun Joe. Injun Joe escaped, and as he fled, he swore revenge on Tom and Huck. But we cannot expect two lively lads of their age to sit at home and moan about their troubles, especially not during summer vacation. And we need not be surprised to find them momentarily forgetting their troubles while digging treasure at the old haunted house on Cardiff Hill. Where'll we dig, Tom? Almost anywhere, Huck. Why? Is it hit all around? No, indeed it ain't. It's hit in mighty particular places, Huck. Sometimes on islands, sometimes in rotten chests under the end of a limb of an old dead tree, just where the shadow falls at midnight. But mostly under the floor of handed houses, like here. Who hides it? Or robbers, of course. Who'd you reckon, Sunday school superintendent? I don't know. If it was mine, I wouldn't hide it. I'd spend it and have a good time. Well, so would I, but you know, robbers don't do that way. They always bury the treasure under the floor of a handed house, and this is the only handed house in town. And this doesn't even have a floor, so that makes it easy. Let's dig right here. You chop with a pickle while, Hucky, then I'll shovel. All right. You really think we'll find a lot of money, Tom? Sure. There ought to be whole scads of it mixed in with a lot of diamonds in an old rotten chest. And maybe a hundred dollars. Oh, that's bully. Well, just you give me the hundred dollars and I don't want no diamonds. Oh, we'll split 50-50, of course. Say, Huck, what you gonna do with your share? Well, I'll have pie and a glass of soda every day. And I'll go to every circus that comes along. Oh, but I'll have a gay time. What you gonna do with yourn, Tom? Well, I'm gonna buy a new drum and a and a sure enough sword and a red necktie and a full pup and and get married. Married? That's it. Tom, you why, you ain't in your right mind. Hey, you wait, you'll see. Now, who in the name of Gus are you gonna marry? I don't know her name yet, but I will. You're gonna marry her and you don't know her name? Why, Tom? Oh, I'll you're... find out her name before I marry her. It's that real pretty girl who just moved to town. Oh, she's awful pretty, Hucky. You mean the gal with the red hair and the big bow? That's Judge Thatcher's daughter. How do you know? Well, I've seen her with Judge Thatcher, and I know his name is Judge Thatcher because Pap always knows who the new judge is soon after he gets into town. Well, I'll meet her tomorrow at the picnic, and then I'll marry her. Oh, if you get married, I'll be more lonesomer than ever. No, you won't. You'll come and live with us. Now, stir out of this, and let's get to digging. Well, all right. Tom, did you hear something just then? Just the digging, Huck. 
No, something else. Tom, come over here to the window. Look. What is it, Huck? Oh, two men. You think they're coming here? Oh, Huck, they are coming this way. You, you don't suppose it's Injun Joe looking for us? Don't, don't talk that way, Huck. Oh, my. Let's run. Huck, keep still. They're, they're coming right toward the house. Come on, quick. Let's crawl up to the attic. You think that ladder will hold us? It's awful old. But we got to risk it. Come on. Yeah. Oh, Huck. Just hold on with your hands, Tom. Yeah. The next rung's all right. Pull yourself up there. That's it. But hurry, I think I hear him in front. Oh, I thought I was a gunner when that ladder broke. Can we hide here? Yeah. Under this old straw. Quick, Tom. Hey, there they are. Neither of them's Injun Joe. No. It's that deep and dumb Spaniard who had come to town last week. Shh. No, I thought it all over, and I don't like it. It's dangerous. Dangerous? Milk. Hey, it is Injun Joe, Huck. He ain't deep and dumb at all. That Spaniard's Injun Joe. Oh, my. You hanging around town when everybody in 20 Mile is looking for you for murder. Careful how you talk. Well, I didn't mean nothing, Joe. And don't call me Joe. You slip once more, you can run along with a share of what's buried here. Well, let's get to it. I want to get my swag and leg for Texas. You can stick around this town if you want it. I got to. I got a score to settle. A score I'll even give it the last thing that I ever do. Oh, Tom, he means us. Here, give me a hand. Uh, a hard digging was just a knife. There's an old rusty pick here by the window. It'll help. All right, get it, and then help me here. Look, they got our pick. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, all right. 
We stop at the tavern for a drink when we go that way. Then you can go your way and I'll go mine. Tom, my heart's just about to stop when he says revenge. You mean Sasak? Oh, don't. But did you see that money? I was just scared of it. I told you there was money here, and robber's money, too. Well, I want to get out of here. We just got to find out where he's going to hide that money, Huck. $500 Injun Joe's got. Well, I don't want nothing to do with that half-breed. We don't need to ever see us, Huck. We got to follow him to his hangout and find out where he keeps. Do we dare? We got to, Huck. Just think of all that money. Why, $500 is as much money as is anywhere in the world. And it's robber's money. Don't belong to nobody. Well, all right. I'll follow him with you, Tom. Oh, my. I just remembered, Hucky. There's that picnic tomorrow. And I doesn't miss that picnic. But you're always better at following than me anyway, Hucky. And then after the picnic, I'll come and find you. And we can go get the treasure together. You want me to follow Injun Joe alone? Oh, Tom, I couldn't. Why, you gotta. Why, Hucky, you're a lot safer if you're following him. Then you know he ain't following you. Do you have to go to the picnic, Tom? Well, I told you why I got it. Well, all right. I'll try and follow him. Bully, Hucky, I knew you would. You can wait outside the tavern, and then when he comes out, it'll be dark, and you can follow him easy. Well, I shouldn't, Tom. I'd a lot rather go on a picnic, but then I reckon there won't be nothing but nice boys at that picnic. <laughs> everybody. Listen. Quiet, children. Quiet, quiet, quiet. I have a real surprise for you. We're going to go to the cave for our picnic. Yeah. And we're going up the river to the cave. On our steamboat. I just love riding on steamboats. Don't you? I, uh, uh... Yeah, I certainly do. Say, you're the new girl in town, aren't you? Well, I've been here most of months, but I guess you could call me new. Gee, you're awful pretty. You shouldn't talk like that. We haven't even been introduced. My name's Becky Thatcher. What's your... Oh, I know. It's Thomas Sawyer. Oh, that's the name they lick me by. I'm Tom when I'm good. You call me Tom, will you? Mm-hmm. How'd you know my name? Oh, I've heard a lot about you. How brave you were at the trial and all. Oh, that weren't nothing. I thought it was. Becky, I wonder, well, well, would you like for me to show you the cave when we get there? I'd love to have you. I've never seen the cave. Is it big? Big? Nobody knows how big it is, I guess. I've been lots of places in the cave, but, but there must be a million of tunnels I ain't seen. It's real dark and... And mysterious and romantic. Oh, that sounds spooky. Oh, it's scary. But you needn't be afraid if you stay right with me. Oh, it is spooky, Tom. Oh, little maybe. But the bats don't hurt none unless they get in your hair. Oh! oh but the bats don't like red hair, so you're safe. Oh, I was scared for a minute. The candles make funny shadows, don't they? This is the cathedral. You know what we ought to do here? No, what? We ought to write our names on the ceiling. You do it with candle smoke. Oh, my, that'll be fun. What are you writing, Tom? Becky and Tom is, is what it'll say. 
You know what it means when your names are on the cathedral ceiling together, don't you? I wouldn't know what it means, Tom. It means we're engaged. That's what. Oh, Tom. That's what it always means, really. I... I like being engaged to you, Becky. It's fun, isn't it? I haven't ever been engaged before. Say, I know what. You know what they put in our picnic sacks? A piece of cake. Have you got yours? I brought it. You said to. You know what that cake will be, Becky? Our wedding cake. Oh, Tom, yes. Isn't it wonderful? But it can't really be our wedding cake. Well, not really, maybe. But we can pretend. We can eat it right here in the cathedral. Oh, no. You always got to eat your wedding cake alone. There's probably be a lot of people coming by here. I know where we're going. Come on. We've come pretty far, haven't we? Don't you think we should turn back? Oh, we'll be all right. Oh, let's stop here. Here's a nice place. What do they call this place, Tom? I don't know. It ain't got a name, I reckon. Maybe nobody's ever been here before. You mean you don't know where we are? Oh, Tom, I'm scared. Oh, it ain't nothing to worry about. We'll name this place just for us. Tom and Becky's Tower. Don't that sound grand? Oh, it is pretty. Hold the light up so we can see the pretty colors on the wall. Oh, isn't it? Oh, oh, oh Tom. Tom, what happened? It was the wind up high. It, it blew out the candle. Tom, it's so dark. Oh, I'm scared, Tom. Oh, you mustn't cry, Becky. <laughs> we'll be all right. Hurry and get the candle lit again. Please hurry, Tom. Oh, Becky, I, I haven't got any matches. Oh, Tom. I knew I should have brought some. Now, Becky, it'll be all right. They'll come and look for us, Donna, if they will. We're lost, Tom. We're lost. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Thatcher, ma'am. Uh, Miss Thatcher? Yes? Miss Mason's here to see you, ma'am. Miss Mason? That's Miss Polly Mason, ma'am. She's the aunt who takes care of Tom Sawyer. She, she asked to see you. Yes, I see. Will you ask her to come in? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, come on in, Miss Mason. Thanks. Mrs. Thatcher? I'm Polly Mason, Tom's aunt. I'm glad you came, my dear. I know that your heart must be as heavy as mine. It it may be a little easier for me, boy, and, and somehow you expect boys can take care of themselves better. That's one reason I came. I know you must feel terrible toward Tom, and, and we can't blame oh, you. please don't think that, my dear. It's just that... You must know how much I love my Becky. Oh, of course. And I came because I thought you might feel better if I told you that Tom's really a most self-reliant boy. What I mean to say is, your Becky will be saved if Tom... Well, he's a good boy, deep down. I know he must be. Perhaps they'll find him soon. Searching party's been going without stopping for two whole days. Judge Thatcher's been like a man possessed. I don't think he'd even eaten for 48 hours. He's a wonderful man. I'm sure he'll find them. Oh. Forgive me. I just can't help it. 
I wonder where my Becky is. Oh, dear God. Look out for her. I dreamt about the sunshine, Tom. It was real bright, and there were big white clouds. <laughs> oh, Becky, don't cry again. They'll find us. I just know they will. How long have we been here? Days, I reckon. Seems like weeks. We didn't eat our lunches until we were both so hungry we couldn't stand it any longer. And that was a long time ago. If only we had something to light our candles. Becky! I've got an idea. What? I didn't know I didn't think of it sooner. I got a kite string here in my pocket. How can that help us, Tom? We can't eat a kite string. No, but but if you hold on to one end and I unroll it as I go, I can do some exploring and maybe find us a way out. You mustn't leave me, Tom. I couldn't bear it. I won't leave you. You see, the string will be between us. And if you want me, you can just jerk at it. And I'll come as fast as I can. All right, but be careful, Tom. Well, I'll be all right. Here, hold on. Yes, I have it. Bye, Becky. Don't say it like that, Tom. No, I'm sorry. I'll hurry. I'm going to tie this tunnel a little. You hold on tight, Becky. I will, but be careful. I'll be as careful as can. Hello? Hello? Tom! Tom, what is it? I'm here, Tom, right here. Oh, Becky, Becky. Oh, there you are. Oh, what is it, Tom? I thought I saw a light. Becky, I... Well, it was a light. Oh, was it, Tom? Can't they get us off? I, I can't explain it, Becky, but... But it wasn't one of the rescuers. It was somebody else, and, and we're better off in the cave than having him fight. Come on, we've got to get away from this spot here. Just as quiet and quick as we can. Sorry, Emily. No luck yet. Nothing. Nothing at all. We thought we heard voices once. We looked and shouted for hours. Must have been one of the other search parties. Darling, where are they? Where's my girl? We mustn't give up, Emily. I'm due back at the cave. The other men are getting so tired, they they can't walk much longer. I must keep going. I must. I'll pray for you, John. Good luck, dear. Good luck. I think it'll be all right here. Who are we running from, Tom? I can't explain now. You just got to trust me, Becky. Oh, Tom, you're all I've got to trust. Here, Becky. <laughs> Let's try the kite string again. Can you hold on? Yes, Tom, I'll try. I'll find something soon. I just know I will. You must. I don't think I can keep, keep awake much longer.
Yes? Uh, Miss Mason, uh, Miss Thatcher sent me over. There, there's news? N- no, I, I'm afraid not. Oh, for a minute I... Uh, come in, my dear. Yes, sir. Judge Thatcher came back from the key for, for just a few minutes to see how Miss Thatcher was, and, and then he, he, he went right on back again. I'm sure he'll find them. I'm sure he will. Oh, you're mighty brave, Miss Mason. I think that's why Miss Thatcher likes to have you with her. Uh, uh, she sent me to ask you to come on over if you can. If she wants me, of course I'll come. You tell her I'll be there tonight right after supper. Tom, I don't know whether I could... I am sure. I can hardly make sure of my eyes, Becky. Here I am. Here I am. Oh, oh. oh, Becky, look, what do you see? Where, Tom? It's so dark I can't see anything. I'm not sure, but but I'd swear I see a little speck of light down that way. Don't tell me it, it isn't there. Yes. Tom, it is. It's light. Oh, Tom. Oh. Becky, Becky, you can't stop now. Wake up, Becky, please. I'll carry as careful as I can. I'll try. I'm sorry I couldn't come sooner, Miss Thatcher. Somehow I was working and missed the time. Just can't bear it when I'm not working. Thank you for coming. I need your faith, Miss Polly. Mine is just about gone, I'm afraid. Oh, you mustn't give up, you... What's that? Donald! Donald! The phone! The phone! Polly, did you hear? Yes, yes. Hello there. Are they all right? Yes. Are they both all right? All all right, ma'am. Oh. The fire lights on a new opening to the cave. They're bringing Miss Becky in the carriage. She's all right. Oh, praise God. Praise God in heaven. Hey, Tom. Tom, wake up. Uh, We'll be all right, Becky. We'll find a way. Wake up, Tom. You ain't in the cave anymore. Huh? It's me, Tom Huck. I come in through the window. Aunt Polly wouldn't let me come see you. Said you was too wore out. Oh, Huck. I was asleep, I guess. Kind of tired. I had to see you, Tom. I followed Injun Joe like you said. And you know where he went? Yeah, Huck. I know. You do? You mean... And that ain't all I know, Huck. As soon as I get my strength back, you and me's got some more work to do. Finished eating. You, uh, you done with your third piece of pie, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Uh, if you're finished, I'll tell you why I invited you all over here for this banquet. You can all guess who it's an honor of. The bravest boy I ever knew, and I mean that. I thought as soon as Tom and Becky were well enough, we ought to have a real spread for them, and that's what we've had. You want a fourth piece of pie, Tom? <laughs> yes. Mrs. Thatcher and I want to pay our respects to Tom Sawyer. We can't ever repay him for what he's done. We can't ever thank him enough. But I thought maybe this genuine pocket watch. Yes. Yes, Tom, it's for you. Oh, my, you shouldn't have done that, Judge Thatcher. No, son. I should have got you a thousand watches. I would if I could afford it. Tom, thanks for all you did. You're a brave boy. Thank you, sir. There's one other announcement I want to make while all you people are here. To make sure that nobody ever gets lost in the cave again, I took it upon myself as judge of this district to order a heavy steel door put across the entrance to the cave. It's been solidly locked and bolted for three days now. Yeah. Hey, what's up? Tom, boy, what's wrong? Here, fetch the boy some water. He's white as a sheep. What's the matter with you, Tom? Oh, Judge, Injun Joe's in the cave. Locked in. What did you find, Tom? Was he there, Judge? Yes, yes, he was there. We unlocked the door I had put on the cave, and he was lying face down by the only crack of light showing underneath. Dead? Yes. Dead of starvation and thirst. He apparently didn't know the other opening Tom found. Oh, it'll be a relief to Tom, poor boy. He's been having terrible nightmares ever since the day that Indian escaped from the courtroom. Yeah, it'll be good news for Tom, all right. But... Hey, where is the boy? Well, land sakes, I never do seem to know. He, he was here a minute ago. Oh, body never knows what kind of mischief he'll be in today. Where you been, Tom? Seems like I've been waiting for you all night. Oh, I couldn't get away, Hucky. Soon as I could sneak out, I came a-running. You got the boat? Right by the bank. Oh, that's bully. They will be the greatest bunch of pirates that ever was. Tom Sawyer and his pirate gang. Don't that sound jolly? And we got real treasure to go get. You sure you know where to look? Ain't nobody else in the world but me that knows where it is. Well, I'm still feared of that murderous engine. You don't need to worry anymore, Hucky. I hung around at Thatcher's house till I heard the judge come back and... Then I listened through the window. You don't need to worry no more about Injun Joe. Come on. I'll tell you about it while we go to the cave. Right here is where Becky and me sat in the dark room, me and Dave's, I reckon. Over there yonder is where I saw Injun Joe creeping out of his hideout. He scared me to death, I tell you. And the money was there? That old rotten chest, just as big as life. Here, here's his hideout. He was standing right there when I spied him. And there's the chest. Look at Hucky. Look at all this coin. Oh, Tom, we're rich. Real rich, Tom. Oh, looky here, Huck. Don't you kind of make you want to turn robber, though? And give up pirating, Tom? You think we ought to? Oh, robbing's much more high-toned than being a pirate. Why, in most countries, robbers are always awful high up in the nobility. Dukes and such. That sounds silly, Tom. We'll call it Tom Sawyer's Robber Gang. Oh, don't that sound fine? Yeah. And we can have secret initiations for the fellas. Initiations? Well, that's where we swear to stand by one another and never tell the gang secrets, even if you're chopped all the flinders, and to kill anybody that hurts one of the gang. Oh, that's gay. That's mighty gay, Tom. Well, I'll bet it is. 
And that swearing's got to be done at midnight in the lonesomest, awfulest place you can find. And you got to swear on a coffin and sign it with blood. Now, that's something like. Why, Tom, we're liable to have some real honest-to-goodness adventures with a gang like that. Tom Sawyer by Samuel Clemens is one of the best of America's novels, brought to you each week by the NBC University of the Air. Next week, American novels will present a seafaring tale of revolutionary days, The Pilot by James Fenimore Cooper. Don't forget that this and countless other fine books are to be had in your local public library. Many American novels in the 1947 summer series are included in the useful handbook of the world's great novels, which you may obtain by sending 25 cents to World's Great Novels, Post Office Box 30, Station J, New York 27, New York. That's Post Office Box 30, Station J, New York 27. Tom Sawyer was adapted for radio by Ned Landon. The music was composed by Emil Soderstrom, and the orchestra was directed by Bernard Berkeley. The entire production was under the direction of Homer Heck. Tom Sawyer is played by David Whitehouse, Becky Thatcher by Florine Sears, Huck Finn by Leonard Smith, Aunt Polly by Viola Berwick, Injun Joe by Bill Rath, Mrs. Thatcher by Fern Persons, and Judge Thatcher by Jess Pugh. Others were Elmira Ressler and George Caesar. This is Hugh Downs. This program came to you from Chicago and has been a presentation of the National Broadcasting Company and its affiliated independent stations. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's shows. Visit our website at www.strangerspilgrims.com.